Mac Power Users, Episode 404, iPhone Photography Update with Austin Mann. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside David Sparks. How are you, David? Well, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm making an emoji, an emoji for you. I'm so happy that you're making an emoji for me. Yes, I'm, I'm a fox, and I'm talking to you right now. If you were here, you would see it. I will promptly delete that when you send it my way. My eyebrows just went up when you said that. And you'll see that when I send you the video. Okay, wonderful. I look forward <laughs> to receiving that. So it is uh, it is fitting that this is episode 404 um, because Katie will not be found in the uh, yeah. <laughs> the second part of, of this episode. Uh, we had a lot of Skype issues. Um, and uh, ultimately, I had to bail on the interview that we had with Austin um, just just because we had a lot of technical difficulties and, and I um, – could could not maintain my internet connection, which I guess is fitting for MPU 404. Uh, and we only had Austin for a limited period of time. So we decided rather than lose our guest, we, we let you and Austin. Um, and in the rest of this episode, you guys have a, a great conversation about uh, iPhone photography. Yeah. And uh, we talk about the differences between the different iPhones and Austin. I mean, he goes all over the world and takes pictures with the iPhone. He has some great tips about the native camera app and third party apps and accessories. This is, this is going to be a great show. I can tell you because I've already lived it. Yes, I haven't listened to it yet. So that will that will be a good experience for me. I, I wish that we had a recording when Katie had to drop out of the call because I it sounds to me like she threw a chair through a window <laughs> at one point. Yeah, right? it was, it was, is that what happened, Katie? It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. She started like speaking and Klingon and like I heard things breaking. I don't know what I honestly I'm glad I'm not there. I, I think a lot of damage probably. Yes, but thankfully no damage to my shiny new iPhone 10. And so we thought we'd spend a few minutes while we're here together uh, before we bring in Austin's segment and talk to you a little bit about our initial thoughts and impressions of the iPhone 10, because this is the first show we've recorded since the iPhone 10 was released. My precious, you mean? Yes, you're precious. Yes, I love this phone, Katie. So um, I bought a silver iPhone 10, 64 gig. Um, you went completely the other direction. No, I bought a silver 256 gig. You bought silver this year. I thought I thought for sure you'd go space gray. I always go space gray, and uh, but I, I had a white one years ago when they first made the white ones. And I'm sorry, I know it's silver. I always call it white, uh, but I, I thought it would be fun. The fact that they put the black face on it. I mean, one of the reasons why I was kind of down on the white phones is uh, I don't like the white um, bezel around the screen. It just looks odd to me. Uh, but this year they have a black bezel. So I thought, what the heck, I'll go for the white one. And man, I'm so glad I did now, now that I got it. I love the this color. I I love now you've called it the white one. We do get angry emails because apparently people have time to write angry emails when we call them white and black. Well, we deserve it. We have a Mac power user show. We can't get the color right. So, <laughs> but, but this thing, honestly, the, the silver one with the, cause I have a stainless steel watch and the stainless steel band. It's like my watch and my phone are friends. They look like they're, you know, they belong together. I like it. Well, I, I, I have not seen the space gray phone. Um, but I am just in love with the silver. I'm very happy I, I went that route. So uh, let's talk a little bit about setup. I did something new this year. I have almost always migrated from a backup, whether it be an iTunes backup or an iCloud backup. I set my phone up completely from scratch this year. And it was pretty painful, but not nearly as painful as it has been 
the last time that I did that. It's probably been years since I did that last because it was such a horrific thing to do. Um, but it wasn't too bad. I would say I got my phone on Friday and probably by Saturday afternoon, I found myself at a point where I was not changing things or updating things or inputting passwords anymore. Yeah, it's a uh, I think there's a good argument to make that it's almost like a defrag of an old PC. It's like starting over from scratch gets all the the cruft off your system and lets you start fresh. I've done that several times over the last few years, but I get so tired of dragging icons around the screen and whatnot that I did. Uh, I just did the usual migration this year. And in fact, uh, one thing I would say is Apple has got a lot better in the last year about migration and new Apple products setup. Uh, all I had to do is hold my old phone next to this new one and it pulled in like the Wi-Fi and some of the other basics that it needed to get rolling and it just, you know, did its thing and migrated. It took it about 45 minutes and then I had a, a working phone. It was great. Yeah, I will tell you the reason that I decided to set up from new is ever since iOS 10. Yes, going back that far, something happened and um, a push for my email stopped working. Despite I changed all the settings, I've deleted the accounts, I've re-put in the accounts. I, I don't need you to help me troubleshoot this. I've done everything. But for whatever reason, my email would no longer push to my phone. I would have to open up the email app and and wait for it to update. So um, I, I don't know why that happened. I don't know what little bit got flipped or what got stuck. So my my whole reason for setting up this iPhone from complete scratch was was to try to rectify that. And so far... Although I won't say it's perfect. So far, it seems that, that that's working. So I, I will call this a success. It's funny sometimes. I mean, it's, first of all, it's amazing the stuff works at all when you think how complicated it is. But it is funny how some little thing can get in there and, and cause trouble for you. I The reason I, last time I redid mine from scratch was because I wanted the built-in uh, text expansion stuff to work. And I thought if I did it from scratch that that they would work. And of course, I did it from scratch. And like Katie, it takes a day, you know, to really kind of get things sorted out. And almost immediately after I wiped it and started resetting it, I, it was obvious to me that text expansion still would not work. So, uh, you know, so be it. But this time I just did the, the usual migration and it's fine. And we did the same thing because uh, I handed my phone down to one of my daughters. And we, we got all these phones moving around the house now. And we've been doing migrations on all of them and having no problem. Don't be afraid to do that, I guess is the same as if anything it's easier than it used to be to migrate uh so the first thing i think we have to talk about is um the screen uh the super retina display is what's this called um it is just gorgeous and not only in terms of um size but in in quality uh i'm very happy with this phone it's 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 almost i, I it's not it's not as big of a change as going from non-retina to retina but it's definitely a distinct change yeah, you know, it's funny because I, uh, I'd i never really worked a long time with an OLED screen before, and I feel like Apple kind of got it right. It, uh, some of the OLED screens I've seen on friends' Android phones look like they're almost too vivid, like the colors are blown out too much, and Apple did it a little more muted, I think, and, and I really like, the. It, it, of course, it's kind of to my taste. Um, one of the things I did is I've always had from my desktop background on my iPhone, like I'll pick a cool picture that I use as my lock screen. And then I just go into Pixelmator on the iPhone and there's a blur filter and you can blur the image. And I just like crank the blur up so much that it's almost uh, not recognizable, but still kind of recognizable. And I use that as my 
um, my desktop screen. So you get the image on the lock screen and then you get a blurry version of that behind your icons and it works great. Uh, but with this one, because the OLED does such a good job of displaying black, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with looking at the, the color black on this phone. And I'm not a huge fan of this notch. We'll talk about that later. Uh, I went ahead and just used from my desktop back, uh, back screen in all black. So it's just a, bl a flat black background to my desktop. I'm sorry, my springboard. The home screen. It's called the home screen. Okay. Yeah. So the uh, my home screen background is just black now. I still have a cool picture on my lock screen, but just the back is black. And I've, I've had that now for two or three days. And I think I'm going to probably keep it that way for a while. It does look really nice with the OLED. I want to talk a little bit about the form factor because you're going down in size. You're going from the plus to the 10, um, which is smaller than the plus, but has a similar size screen. And I'm going up. I'm going from a 7 to the 10, which is a little bit bigger in size, but a significantly better screen. Um, and it's interesting because uh, I, I'm i not finding the, the change. I, I love this. The... The screen size, I, I'm finding having that bigger screen real estate is is huge. You can see more mail. You can see more web pages. You can see more notes. I mean, I, I think having the, the additional vertical screen height is tremendous, and I don't really notice it on the horizontal size. Uh, yeah, I just think that the, the vertical is, is what's most important. I, I will tell you, and I think this is going to be a little bit more of a male-female difference, that if you're not used to a plus size phone, that it's a little bit wider, not significantly, but just a little bit wider. It's a little bit harder to hold. I find it a little bit harder to hold and grip. And I have been using this phone caseless, which I've been going back and forth and back and forth on. Um, and one of the reasons I ultimately decided not to add a case to it, because a case then adds even a few additional millimeters to it, you know, width wise, which makes it a little bit harder to hold and grip. Um, but I would imagine that you kind of have an opposite feeling going down in size. Yeah, it feels like it's more roomy. You know, it's it's, it's interesting because it's the roughly the size of a standard iPhone with the the screen pixels or screen size actually of the iPhone Plus. I have this joke about you know uh, about Doctor Who and it's bigger on the inside, and I've been trying to get that joke to land for a week, and nobody ever laughs at it. In fact, I think I tried it during the show with Austin, and it went it just went flat. So. Uh, but it's cool. Uh, I uh, I feel like kind of a hypocrite because I kept bragging about the big iPhone and how much I love the big iPhone. And now I'm holding this in my hand. I'm like, wow, this feels really good in my hand. You know, I can really uh, manipulate it one hand largely. Uh, it's a little tall. Uh, one of the things I noticed was I just opened it next to my old iPhone and just kind of opened up some of my favorite apps, OmniFocus, Apple Notes, and like stuff like that, and looked at them next to each other. And they they have the same amount of data, like uh, vertically, I've got the same amount of data scrolling on the screen. It's just kind of done in a different way. So in a lot of ways, I'm getting a lot of the benefits of the bigger, uh, the bigger phone on the smaller case. Uh, where that's not true for me is typing. I got pretty good at typing on the bigger phone and I, ha I have these ham hands or whatever where typing on the smaller one, I'm, I have still not kind of got it down. Well, it's like anything. It's what you get used to. I'm, I'm sure if you go and think back, there was an adjustment period when you went from typing on the smaller phone to when you went to the plus size phone. 
uh, it was immediately easier for me. Uh, but uh, I, I think I'm going to try some some of the swipe keyboards. I feel like uh, swipe never really made sense for me on the big phone, but now I'm going to have, what if I just use my thumb and just swipe with one finger, you know, with just my thumb rather than trying to do the two-handed typing thing. So I'm going to um, look into that between now and the next time we do a feedback show and report back. But I know there's several different swipe keyboards. I'm going to try a couple different ones out and see how that goes. Uh, the camera. Well, before you go to the camera, because we're going to talk a lot about the camera in the rest of the show. Uh, but one of the the interesting things is that the Plus Club people have had a lot of benefits the last couple of years, including the camera that the non Plus Club people haven't had. And and so I feel like this is finally a regular iPhone that is no longer kind of treated like a second class citizen, because I'll, I'll tell you, um, although I am nowhere near the photographer, not really a photographer. I mean, I take just little snapshots here and there. I have already noticed dramatically an improvement in the camera and just having the ability to have a 2x optical zoom. It's huge. Yeah, it, you're going to love the pictures this takes. I want to, and Austin and I go into it in great detail uh, in the show, so I don't want to do it twice from my perspective, but like, have you tried the selfie camera yet? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, so they have a portrait mode on the I, I don't know that I've ever used the selfie camera. I, I totally believe that you have never used it, <laughs> but the um they they have a portrait mode on the selfie camera and it uses a different set of technologies. It's the stuff they use to to look at your face to unlock, but they can make a three D map of your face and then blur the background behind you with the selfie mode, and it take it is really good. I mean, I I, I think it's a uh, very impressive. Anybody that likes to take selfies. This camera takes much better selfies, and we're going to talk about that more later with Austin. Uh, but before we go on, there's one more point I want to make about the form factor, and this is something I have not read from many people. Uh, it, I feel like this thing, it just has a different feel to it. It's I think it's because of the stainless steel and glass. I mean, it's a little heavier than you think when you pick it up, and I don't know. It just feels really like a quality build to me. I, I don't know how else to put it, but I love the way this thing feels in my hand. It's hard for me to put it down. It it feels very substantive. I, I think it's the, um, the, the weight to size. So the mass of the phone, um, when, when you pick it up, it, it feels very solid. It feels very substantive. Um, I will tell you the first couple of days that I, the first day, really, I got used to it by about 18 hours in the the first day I used the phone, I was terrified that I was going to drop it. And some of that could have been just, you know, first, first day phone jitters. Um, but I, I found it a little slippery after using it uh, today, you know, we're, we're four or five days into it as we record this, I don't find it slippery at all. Now, I don't know whether that's just because, you know, my hands have pawed all over it and, you know, I've just, I've, I've got all my, you know, human goo on it already. I, you know, who knows, but I, I don't find it slippery at all. And I'm, we'll kind of get into the to case or not to case, but I was, I really wanted to use this phone without a case. And I was very nervous the first day that I got it, that I wasn't going to be able to do that because I was terrified about dropping it. But I, um, I've gotten over that. Although I will say, although it looks gorgeous and if you just rub it on your shirt, it cleans right up. Uh, the white one or the silver one, at least does, does show a fair amount of fingerprints on it. Are you finding that? Yeah, but it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's all good. 
getting this uh, phone in a case, first of all, let's just talk about some numbers. According to Apple's uh, post, and I also, uh, Stephen Hackett was the first one to find this. I linked him over at Max Barkey. Um, if you have to get the front screen repaired on the iPhone 10, it's $279 out of warranty, almost 300 bucks. And if you break the back with the wireless charging and all that stuff, it is $549 to repair. So uh, the moral of the story is if you're listening to my voice and you don't want to have to deal with that risk, or if you if you really feel that you're uh, never going to drop your phone, then you're okay. But if you think there's any risk of that, spend the 200 bucks on Apple Care. They raise the price to Apple Care Plus with this phone, but then you can break it twice without having to spend that kind of money. So, so that I think is something. And if you have your new phone, you have up to 60 days to do it. So you're, you're not, you're still, uh, you're still in the woods. I guess you can say you can still get the, uh, the Apple care plus. Um, I, and I think that you either have to take your phone into an Apple store or if you call Apple care, I don't know how this works, but they do some kind of diagnostic to allegedly find out that you're, um, you know, that you're, Phone's not broken. You can do it online. I mean, you can actually do it online and they do the diagnostic over the internet and then they test it to make sure that it hasn't, I guess there's some way they can know if the screen is cracked without having to bring it in. And so you can get it all done from home, you know, probably take you about 10 or 15 minutes once you get to the right place. Uh, if we can track down the right link, we'll put it in the show notes and get, get yourself the Apple Care. And, and I, I, every time I say this, people write me and say, I don't need Apple Care. That's fine. You don't have to write me. That's cool. But uh, if you're listening and you weren't aware of how much it costs to get it repaired, that may make you rethink it. And so I, I paid for it, which is making me feel a lot more confident about just carrying it in my pocket. Um, uh, and I always feel like, well, if I carry it in my pocket and I do drop it and crack it, I still have one repair left, you know, on, on my Apple Care. And that's when I start getting serious about maybe I should put a case on it. But I don't generally break iPhones. I've only cracked one once and it was many years ago and it was something kind of dumb, but the, uh, but I'm pretty careful with them and I just love the way this thing looks so much. It's going to be really hard for me to put it in a case. Yeah, I did buy a case. I bought the, um, the, the white silicone Apple case and I love the, um, I, I don't really like the feel of it. I've always bought Apple leather cases before, but they don't have a white leather case. And so I bought the white silicone case cause it was, um, it, it would match the phone better. And I just stuck it in a drawer and I've got it. And I figure if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to Disney world or if I'm, I'm going out and about with the phone, then I'll probably stick my phone in the case for the day. But, um, so then I have an option to have one, but I, I don't plan on using it from day to day. I got one, I got the nomad, you know, hello, nomad.com. They have nice ones and they have a, a, it's got rubber in it. It's, so it's kind of protective, but it also has a, a leather backing on it. So it looks really nice. I have one of those so I can use it on events where like, like you said, like if we're going out or if I'm going somewhere where I think somebody else is going to be handling my phone, like, like a, like a family event and somebody else is going to be holding my phone to take a picture. Um, they're not as anal retentive as I am. So we'll go ahead and put in a case that day. Oh, that's a good idea. Like Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up. You should put your phone in a case those days. Especially because it's the fancy new iPhone 10 and your whole family is going to want to play with it. Mm, good ideas. Yes. I'm kind of looking for a bumper case for this phone. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. We'll see. I think Mike Hurley bought one. He was talking about it. He was talking so about know. one, but I want to see pictures of it first before I buy it. I found a few on Amazon, but they're all like, you know, the the crazy third party cases. So we'll see. What about Face ID? 
I've been overall very happy with Face ID. And in many respects, it takes us back to kind of the time before we we were smart enough to know that we needed passwords on our iPhone. Because um, you just look at your phone and, and swipe in and go to use it and it's it's unlocked. It's great. Um, I've, I've been very happy with it. I, I kind of wish you could train more than one face to it, but I guess anybody who really needs to get my iPhone knows my password. I, I will tell you that I had trouble with my Ray-Bans did not work with face ID. If they have infrared, uh, block on it, then they won't work. My, my Warby Parker sunglasses work fine. So apparently they don't have infrared in them. And, and most, um, most sunglasses work, um, it's just a very few. I've heard a couple of people say their Ray-Bans don't work. I will tell you, I've had these particular Ray-Bans since 2002. This exact set of sunglasses I've had since 2002. So it might be time for me to get an upgrade. So you have to take your phone with you when you go sunglass shopping. I know. You do. You will. Um, what you can do, and this this does um, reduce the security a little bit, so be aware. But what you can do is you can go into accessibility and turn off the setting to require attention and I found that when I turn that off, that um, it, they work. It's fine. It gets me with the glasses with it. Yeah, it, it unlocks even faster. Yeah, it does. But, um, I, you know, I live in Florida and I wear sunglasses all the time. So we'll see. We'll see whether I leave that setting off or whether I buy new sunglasses. I, I, I do think, though, just looking at it on the whole. Uh, so when the rumors first started that, hey, they're taking Touch ID off the next phone, um, the collective response by the nerds was, oh, why are you doing that? I, you know, touch ID works so good. I, you know, face ID generally doesn't work and there's been a lot or, or it works so well that it doesn't work, you know, where people hold up a photograph of a person and it unlocks the phone. And, um, and Apple, I think really hit it out of the park with this. It's, it's fast, it's convenient and it's secure. I mean, I've seen the YouTube videos of twins and uh, they even told us that when they announced the phone that twins are a problem. But overall, I mean, I've handed this phone around to a lot of people in my life. It doesn't unlock for any of them. It only unlocks for me. And just like Katie said, when you pick it up, you just look at it and it unlocks. And when you go in something like one password, I mean, one password was pretty great that you could use your thumb to unlock one password to get your passwords. But now you just literally open one password and it's like one password is unlocked all the time, but it really isn't. Um, I, uh, I really like this and I don't know if it's faster than touch ID. Like with touch ID, you could unlock it while you were pulling out of your pocket. If you got your thumb in the right spot, um, this requires you to look at the phone but it is it is fast enough that I don't miss it at all. Like if you told me, uh, I can wave a magic wand over your phone and we can put a Touch ID sensor on the Apple logo on the back where you just touch it with your finger. Would you want that? I'd say no. I, I would want to keep the Face ID stuff. It makes me really excited for what we're going to see in the next few versions of iOS 12, iOS 13, whatever we call future versions of iOS. I'm I'm very excited to see what they can do with this technology. I want it on my Mac. I mean, that it just seems so obvious now. Like, I get the, you know, the watch to unlock your Mac is cool. Even the Touch ID sensor on some of the MacBooks is cool. But this is just obvious. You just There's already a camera up there. Add whatever additional sensors you need and just make it so when I look at my Mac, it unlocks for me. And, and they don't have a space problem on a Mac. There's plenty of space in an iMac or a, maybe not a MacBook, but just about every other Mac, I think it, it would be something they could do. So hopefully that happens. Well, and but keep in mind, there are there are only a certain number of Macs that have Apple's built in uh, 
eyesight technology that have Apple's built-in camera. So that's portable computers at this point. So it's MacBook Pros, MacBooks. They'd have to add it. Yeah, they'd have to add it and and iMacs. So, but but that is that is the majority of Macs that Apple sells. So and and of course Apple's long rumored you know new display. I, I think like um I, I, the listeners don't know this, but but Katie, whenever we record the show, she keeps her Ray Bounds on for the whole time because she's just such a rock star. So it it would be a problem for you. Well, I just have to turn off the attention thing. You know, it's fine. Yeah, there you go. Don't ever take the sunglasses off. Yeah. She also only, whenever she's in my presence, she always wears them. I've actually never seen Katie's eyes. They're, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're like Commander Data. You've got those weird Commander Data eyes. Is that possible? Yellow. They're yellow. All right. Uh, Face ID, th- big thumbs up from me. I, I feel like uh, this was something I was very worried about, that it was going to be a dud or not work right. And especially since we were spoiled by Touch ID, uh, I think it's great. Super happy. Let's talk about the gestures, because there are a lot of new gestures to learn. Um, I'm okay with most of them, not all of them, but but most of them. The, um, you know, flipping up for home and multitasking, I've I've learned that one's a little harder, but I've I figured that one out. So we're we're doing better with that one. Okay, so multitasking is an interesting one. You may not realize there's uh, at least three ways to do it. The, The first is you swipe up and hold and then it gets to the old. Uh, multitasking window with the different app panes where you can swipe back and forth. Uh, the second way is, and my favorite, is just that little touch bar across the bottom. If you just swipe that left or right, it will go into the next app, which I it's amazing. I, I feel like that should have been on the phone even before they had this stuff. It, it really makes it faster. And then the, the third way, which a lot of people don't know about, is if you, rather than pull up and hold, and it's the holding part that makes people crazy. It's like, oh, I got to wait on the computer now. But if you kind of pull up like you're swiping to the left or to the right, it goes straight into the multitasking mode. So you start in the center and just like sweep it to the left or sweep it to the right, and then it goes into that multitasking mode. So so try all three of those to figure out which one works best for you. I, I will tell you the piece that I really don't like, and I kind of hope that Apple figures out a better way to do this that I, I need some help with, um, is Control Center. I find that I'm using Control Center a lot less, and I use Control Center all the time. And m- maybe for guys, it's not as bad. Be, but I'll tell you, I really have a hard time getting up in that real way top right hand corner. Yeah, me too. It, I, I don't like it. So uh, so notifications were always swiped down from the top. But now you look at the right ear of this thing. And if you swipe down there, you get your control center. And I just feel like there's so many ways that that could have been done better. And the problem is, if you hold it in your left hand, it's very hard to reach it. If I hold my right hand, I can hit it. Okay. Uh, uh, one way people get around this is they reenact, um, reachability mode and, uh, you have to go to the ac- accessibility tab to turn it on. And then you can like work to the bottom and you swipe down and it makes it more reachable. But then you've got two different gestures just to get to control center, which seems kind of ridiculous. And the two gestures are the opposite ends of the phone. So it feels very awkward. If I were in charge, uh, there's, I've heard one way that everybody's talking about doing is like when you swipe up for multitasking, you just swipe to the right and you get to um to the control center, which would be nice. I feel like, you know how on the iPad, there's different swipe up gestures, like a short swipe up gets you the dock and a long swipe up gets you to multitasking. Uh, I think it would be cool if, there, if you did a long swipe from the bottom and that opened control center. Well, I don't know why you can't just swipe from the edge. I mean... 
Yeah, we got a lot of ears on this phone. Just swipe from the bottom edge. I don't know. Seems easy enough. I don't know. Anything other than the furthest point from my hand, because I usually hold it in my left hand. I do too. Even though I'm right-handed, I usually hold it in my left hand. Yeah, so it's like, it's the worst spot for me. And I do use Control Center all the time. I mean, you can reach up with your other hand and pull down. I I don't know. I've been trying to use reachability, but I find reachability a challenge with this phone because you've got to get it right on that little multitasking bar and swipe down. And it's, it's kind of awkward to reach that as well. It's a very kind of particular motion to get reachability. So rather than have one difficult motion, now I have two. So uh, I just feel like this there there was a better solution than what they did with it. What do you think about this uh, this notch, by the way? Does it bother you? It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. I mean, do I wish it wasn't there? Sure. I wish it wasn't there. But I, I don't know what the alternative was. I mean, is the alternative that the bezel is just all the way down? I, I don't think that looks any good. Is the alternative... You know, the status stuff is up in the notch and it's black. I, I don't think that looks any good. Uh, it's at some point, the technology will get so good that the, the notch disappears or the notch becomes significantly smaller or it becomes so small that they truly can fit it in a very thin bezel. But I, I think when you when you look at what the alternatives were, the the notches, it doesn't bother me. The only time it bothers me is when I'm in. um like full screen horizontal movie mode and it cuts out of a, it cuts out a video, but it, it doesn't bother me in vertical mode. I wrote in a post that I don't like the notch and I got so much hate mail over it. <laughs> so. I, I mean, I, I, w- I wish it wasn't there, but it, it, you know, I'm over it. Yeah. I, I guess just to set the record clear, <laughs> I don't like the notch. I think it looks ugly and I, I don't think it's cute. I just, that the problem is, it's edge to edge everywhere. So it's like, you're so close. It's just like a few years ago when somebody made a, a round digital watch, but it had like a flat tire. There's a part of it. I forget. I think it was motor. I don't even know which vendor it was. It was one of the Android wear watches, but it just looked weird that the thing was almost kind of perfect, but it had this one section that wasn't. So I just don't want it to be there. Now, um, all that being said, I think it's the best possible solution to have this amazing face ID. I mean, I don't think there's any way around it. You can't put it under the screen. The technology's there. You can't put a lump on top of the phone because that would look just, that would look worse. And I just don't think they had any choice but to put it there, but I wish it wasn't there because this, the edge to edge thing is so nice. I just really want to see it all over the phone. And I, and I don't want them to say, well, then we're not going to release this phone until we can do it in a way where you don't have a notch because then we wouldn't have the phone now and it could be years before we actually do. So uh, I completely understand why they did. I don't disagree with the decision to do it, but that doesn't change the fact that I don't like it. Do we need to talk about Animoji or can we just Yes, we do. Animoji are fun. Katie, why are you going to be such a drag, man? Everybody's karaokeing with the Animoji. I just don't see it. Uh, we're having so much fun with it. I, uh, I I did a thing with my sisters where I texted them. I was having plastic surgery and they got completely freaked out and the joke went com- off the rails on me. But I had fun with Animoji. Uh, I just watched Star Wars being sung by Animoji characters last night on YouTube. I don't know why you have a problem with this. It's fun. It's fine. It's fine. It's also kind of an impressive technology. I mean, just looking at it, uh, the way it truly does reflect your your facial gestures. I mean, it's, it's kind of out of the future. I, and I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a thing like stickers where 
after a month or two, a lot of people are going to stop using it. I th- I agree. I think so. But for now, we're going to have fun with it. I, I, I think Apple should put the pedal down on this because it's become like a thing. Like my kids are talking about it. It's on social media. They should be putting it in their clips app. They should, you know, they should be adding additional animals. They should have Christmas themed stuff in the next month. Yeah. Apple, Apple should be releasing ads right now for the iPhone 10 with Animoji. Yes. Karaoke and something going on. Cause, cause you're right. This bubble's going to burst. They need to capitalize on it. It doesn't have to burst. They could, you know, they could be like Snapchat and add additional Animoji and, you know, like seasonal. They, there's things they can do that would make this a more fun and more desirable phone for people. I, I, I know Katie doesn't like it, but I know there's a lot of people that do. And I, I don't dis, dislike it. It's it's fine. People can have fun and play with them. I just don't prefer to communicate that way. Okay. So are you okay? I just want to be clear. Are you okay if I just send you all future emails as Animoji discussions? Is that I, okay? I am, I am. I am not okay with that. That is not my preferred method of communication. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I think it's kind of fun. And I mean, people are like, do you, do you prefer I call? Do you prefer I text? Do you prefer I email? Do you prefer I Animoji? Uh, no. Animoji is at the bottom of your Animoji. list. Yes, it's it's not on the list. <laughs> uh, oh, it's cool. And uh, it's fun to play with your kids. Anything you can do with your kids that they can enjoy. It, I don't know. I think it's cool. Um, uh, wireless charging. Have you done any of that yet? No, I haven't. I, I was never really interested in wireless charging because it, it seems worse in every possible way. It's It's slower. Um, it, there's a lot of reports of your phone can, you know, vibrate right off the, the wireless charging pad. Um, is, is plugging in a cable really that hard of a thing? Um, I, I see the, the one area where it possibly could come in handy is, is for use like on a desk or someplace where you regularly set your phone down. Um, but I have always had docks at my desk. I have a dock at my desk at home and a dock at my desk at work. So it's always kind of a dedicated place that I, I put my phone at my desk and that has always kept my phone charge, you know, when I'm working. So could a wireless charger replace my, my dock at, at work? Yeah, it could. But now now I'm still putting my phone in a dock on my desk. And instead of just putting it in the lightning dock, I'm now just setting it on a wireless charger that is connected with a cable. I think I think a dock could be superior. It charges faster. Uh, it holds the phone in a uh, position where it's easier to read and also would be easier to unlock with Face ID. If you lay it down on a table, it's it's difficult to lock unlock with Face ID. The other thing that's weird with Face ID is this phone doesn't have a button. When you pick it up, it's really easy to pick it up upside down and Face ID doesn't work upside down. Now, where where I do think wireless charging could come in handy is when we start seeing it adopted um, out in public places. Where, where we start seeing wireless charging just in tabletops and airports. And we're already seeing that to some extent where, you know, every place in Starbucks has wireless charging pads, where um, where wireless charging is built into our coffee tables, you know, where we don't have to have all of these these charging pads places, where wireless charging is on the dash of or, or in the center console of our cars. That's that's when I think it will start to be very useful. I, I, I think wireless charging is a thing that is probably five years out. Okay, so all that being said, I ordered a wireless charger. Um, all right, I figured. You know, the Mophie one is apparently the better one. Is that the one you got? Uh, you know, I didn't do any research. Uh, all I did was go on Amazon, and I saw Anchor had one. And I'm such an Anchor fanboy. I'm like, and it was 20 bucks. I'm like, I can't go wrong. And it, it's a micro USB plug on it. So, And I have a micro USB cable on, on my desk uh, that I almost never use. So I'm like, well, that I've already got the cable there for it. So I just ordered it, plugged it in. And my phone is resting on my desk often as I work on my computer. I don't keep it in my pocket. 
So I said, why not just put it on a charger, you know? So, so, and I don't have a dock like Katie does. So I just lay it on there and it charges. It's a trickle charge. It's not a super fast charge, but it's getting a charge while it's on my desk. And it's great. I don't know. I, I think it's a good idea. Um, and it is a pain in the neck when you're working at your desk to have it plugged in or what's even worse is, uh, I'm one of those people that paces when I'm on phone calls. So if a phone call comes in, I'll put my AirPods in and I'll pick up my phone and start walking around and talking. And, and I like to have the phone close to me. So, but if I'm on a call, I got to like futz with the cord and then I've got the cord laying across the desk. And so I, I don't know, I, I think the wireless charging works really good for me on my desk. Uh, but I could see if I had a, a good dock on the desk, I may not have bothered with it, but it's fine. And it's nice that it's now available. So um, overall, I'm I'm super happy. I don't typically this was a little early adopt a switch over for me. I, I got the seven last year. Normally, I would have waited two years before I got a phone, but I'm I'm very glad I upgraded to the 10. I will see what the what the upgrade is next year, whether I. I continue with an every year upgrade cycle because now I, I broke the cycle. I am no longer in any kind of contract. I just bought this phone outright, which I really think was the right thing to do. I'm so tired of being on someone's upgrade program or whatever. I'm I'm done. So uh, I'm very happy. I love this phone. I love being able to use my phone caseless again. And I just feel so happy when I pull it out of my purse or out of my pocket. It just makes me happy. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's so fun to see Apple get innovative with stuff. And this phone has so many things about it. the screen, uh, the security with the lock, the the improvements to the camera. I mean, we didn't talk about it, but we're going to do a whole show on it, Rad, for the next break. This thing takes amazing pictures. And, um, and even just like the idea, like, you know, after I do a workout and I get out of the shower and my hands are wet and I can't get the phone to unlock, that isn't a problem anymore. I just look at it. My face unlocks it. So we're going into cold weather. If I wear gloves when I'm out um, now, I don't, that's not a problem anymore. So I, I just really feel like this is a, a real big improvement on the iPhone. And you always worry when they have one of these kind of revolutionary steps that there's going to be something that goes wrong. And it seems like it didn't, that didn't happen here. I mean, the phone's been out a week now, so who knows, but uh, overall, everybody I know that bottom loves it and the, uh, the face ID stuff is working. I really feel like, and like I said, that just the weight and the way it feels in your hand, it, it's really special. Go into the Apple store and check it out if you haven't yet, but just be careful. It may end up costing you a thousand bucks. Well, David, I'm going to leave you here. Um, you've got a whole nother show after this with uh, talking about iPhone photography with Austin Mann. Uh, and for the rest of our listeners, I will see you all next week and stay tuned for more. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Communicate smarter and faster with Text Expander. Go to textexpander.com slash podcasts and enter Mac Power Users to get 20% off. Now you've heard of Text Expander before. It's the text replacement tool for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. And if you've never used Text Expander, you may be thinking it's just like all other text replacement tools. Well, you'd be wrong. Text Expander goes way beyond normal text expansion tools. Using Text Expander, I'm able to automate so much of the text in my life. For instance, if I send an email, I can hard code in a tab key in my expansion snippet. So I can type an expansion snippet in the subject line and it'll tab key into the body of the email and prepare the email for me. I can have it have a fill in the blank field. So if it's a repeated snippet where I need to change the name every time, Text Expander will ask me and I'll give it the name and it'll fill it in appropriately. 
I can have it even add in the current date and time or grab the clipboard. There's just so much you can do with this application. I've always felt it's the starting point for automation on the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. If you want to get better at this stuff, a great place to start is with Text Expander. So last month, I got my report from Text Expander about how much time I saved. Last month on Text Expander, I expanded 1,190 snippets and I saved 8 hours and 47 minutes of typing. I shared that on Twitter and everybody on the internet went crazy. They didn't believe it, but it's absolutely true. Last month I had a lot of extended contract stuff I was doing and I had a lot of Text Expander snippets built around a lot of the pieces of it. So last month I saved an entire working day with using just Text Expander. Just stop and think about that for a minute. How would you like to have eight hours back over the last 30 days? What would that be worth to you? You may not get eight hours every month, but you can save a lot of time with Text Expander. So if you want to level up your game or if you're just interested in these power tools with Text Expander, I recommend that you head over to TextExpander.com slash videos. There's nine videos there that I made for a Text Expander. It shows exactly how I use all these tricks. It's not that difficult. Anybody could do this and you can really save yourself a lot of time. So uh, once again, that's TextExpander.com slash podcasts. Uh, tell them you came from the Mac Power users. That makes us look great and we always love that. And you get 20% off. So why don't you save yourself some time next month with Text Expander? Austin, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me, David. Glad to be here. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so for listeners that don't remember, Austin was our guest back on show 285. Austin Mann is, in my opinion, the foremost authority on mobile photography. Uh, every year, Apple gives him the new iPhone. And he goes some amazing place before it launches. So then he has this great review he puts up of uh, of the camera. And I always look forward to it. I know, Austin, uh, it's a lot of work putting that together. But you also get to go to some pretty cool places. So I, I don't really have that much sympathy for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's really fun to, to get my hands on a pre-release unit and uh, get to take it on a project somewhere and, and put it to the test out in the field. Yeah, and, and this year... Um, you took a trip to Guatemala with the iPhone 10 and then I believe it was India with the iPhone 8. Yep. Uh, India back in September with the iPhone 8 and, uh, went all over the place on, I work with a group called Kieran Downey and they, uh, um, I work with them to capture their, their tours. And so I, uh, instead of shooting with DSLR, I've been capturing a lot of their tour content now with the uh, with the iPhone platform. So in uh, in September it was the the eight plus, and then most recently it was Guatemala with the ten. Well, I, I know for me, uh, you your reviews were really influential on in me. For years, I had a uh, a big SLR camera, and then for a few years, I had a mirrorless. And um, my daughter at one point got very involved with video in her school, so I um. So I gave her our, our good camera and I decided, well, I'm just going to use my iPhone. And it was kind of based on some of the pictures I saw you taking on your various trips. Uh, so for a couple of years now, I've been using the plus size iPhone, whatever the most current version was. And uh, and this year I got the iPhone 10 and, and so did you. Um, and I just thought it'd be fun to just talk a little bit about where we are with iPhone photography, because I think I'm not alone. I think there's a lot of people out there that would like to take all of their pictures with the uh the camera that's always in their pocket. Yeah, I think it's, uh, we're in an interesting time for sure. You know, the, uh, I, what I love about the iPhone is it's, um, just packed with 
possibility. And so at any given moment, no matter what life throws at you, you can be ready to, to capture it. It's very, very versatile. So whether it's a still photo or a time lapse or a super, or, you know, an HD slow-mo video, like whatever you encounter, if you see something, you know, you can probably capture it in a really cool way with the iPhone. Yeah. And it really has come a long way. I mean, there's been improvements to the lens system, but also uh, there's a new term of our computational photography. And it's it's a real thing where uh, the supercomputers inside these little phones are capable of doing some pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting time. I've put a good bit of thought into that. You know, that when I was getting started as a shooter, it was around the time that film was beginning to transition out as the mainstream platform into digital. My very first DSLR was, was actually the first Canon DSLR. And so I was literally like right at that like moment. And there was kind of this, like, uh, there was this kind of friction between like film and digital shooters and people were like, well, you have to understand how film works in order to understand how to shoot. And I was kind of like, I don't know, but now I feel like, <laughs> excuse me, the new, the new transition is from like DSLR to computational photography. And like, that's the new kind of different way of thinking. And there's a lot of photographers being born today that aren't going to understand like the aperture affected depth of field because you've got computational photography doing that. I mean, and we were just talking a few weeks ago on the show about this idea of multiple focal length photographs, you know, that in the future, digital photographs are going to have different focal lengths so you can actually change it um, on your computer or whatever it is you're carrying in the future that, that acts as a computer in your life. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really wild. Uh, yeah, it's almost like, it's. I think it's exciting. I love it when technology can just turn the apple cart upside down and I feel like it did it already once with photography and this whole idea going from film to digital, but now I feel like this whole idea of computational photography is just the next step and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens. Someone uh, left in my comments, they said, you know, hey, I saw that the... Uh you know, the F-stop, that the aperture is a little bit faster on the new wide lens. Is that going to make the depth of field shallower for portrait mode? And uh, that wasn't a silly question because all of the norms that we understand is that the, the wider the aperture on the lens, the shallower the depth of field we can create. Um, that's just the physics of light and photography up until today. But computer, uh, computational photography changes that completely in the aperture on your lens really doesn't affect the depth of field at all because it's being completely created, uh, uh, you know, digitally. So that, that, that comment right kind of stuck out to me as like, as you know, someone that again was, you know, fairly savvy as a photographer, but that, that hasn't like wrapped their mind around how does computational photography work and all the rules and that all the norms that we know now are going to change. And it's going to be, you know, frankly, it's a little bit perplexing even to me. I'm trying to keep up with it, but, um, I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, time over the next few years to see how powerful it can be. Yeah, see, I fell into the same trap because I um, I saw, and you're talking about on the iPhone 10, the uh, the zoom lens, the two times lens has a lower f-stop. And the first thing I did is I went to the park and started taking a bunch of close-up pictures of flowers with the zoom lens, thinking I was getting um, uh, that lower f-stop. But I think it was just the portrait effect, which was on on silica, not in the lens. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's different. 
Let's take a minute to talk, because you've done trips now both with the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10, but you've also done a lot of photography with the iPhone 7 and 6. Um, for someone out there listening and considering, you know, between these various cameras, um, what is this, you know, what is kind of the, in your mind, the differences between the camera systems on the iPhone 8 versus the iPhone 10, for example? Uh, the biggest things that you're going to see is, uh, that are different between the 10 and the 8 Plus are uh, the telephoto lens on the 10 is now stabilized, optically stabilized, and it's also got a slightly faster f-stop, which means it can let more light in uh, more quickly, and so it's going to perform better uh, in low-light scenarios. It's going to focus a little bit faster in portrait mode and a couple of those types of things um, with, with specifically with the telephoto lens. And, and then, um, you know, the other huge thing that it really impacts you is the, um, is the size actually, because uh, I'm, I really love one handed shooting and um, it's just a lot more convenient to use uh, one handed than the, the plus I've always found it just a little bit. I mean, I've always loved the plus, but, it's uh it's always been a little bit big and so i think that impacts you as a photographer and then the screen um is you've got quite a bit uh quite quite an amazing contrast ratio on the 10 significantly better than the 8 plus and i mean the 8 plus has an amazing screen but the 10 with the um oled uh, organic led it's um it's a big step up and uh, you can when you're shooting in bright sunlight you can actually you can see the image quite a bit better. And that, that part's important. That's one complaint or one challenge with mobile photography in general is if you're in the middle of India, you know, you've got direct sunlight on your screen. Sometimes it's not quite bright enough to, to, uh, to like really get your framing and, and be able to see well. But with the iPhone 10, you've got a lot higher contrast and, and it just pops more and you can, you can see it quite a bit better. Like shooting without looking through the viewfinder almost. Right. Yeah. We don't have a viewfinder. So either you got to seek shade or you got to have a screen that's contrasty and bright enough to, to overcome the sunlight. And I definitely noticed that in Guatemala with the iPhone 10 is a major advantage. You know, on the, on the issue of the size, it's funny because I have been in, uh, in the plus club for a couple of years and the camera is what pulled me in to tell you the truth, the camera plus the battery life, I think probably in, in hindsight, but I, um, I w I was very happy with it. And now I I've got this, um, this smaller phone. I love the way it fits in my hand and it does make it easier to pull it out and take a picture one handed. Uh, and I feel like a hypocrite, you know, after all these years of saying how great the plus one is and now I just can't get over. I'm not sure if, if Apple came out with the exact same iPhone 10 design, with just a bigger one with an even bigger screen. I'm not sure I'd be willing to go to it. I this this nice small size really does fit in the hand pretty nice. Yeah, I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't go for it. I I I feel like you know it's been just because of my my nature to to gravitate uh, towards whichever uh, you know tool accomplishes the job the best. It's always been clear that the plus is the choice for that because of the. Uh, the telephoto, well, more, you know, in the last couple of years, the dual lens, the better battery, the, you know, easier to edit images on screen because it's bigger, it's just more functional as a tool. But, uh, you know, unless there was some really compelling, yeah, you know, photo or pro feature on a bigger phone, I, I will never, uh, you know, choose that, that bigger device. It's just so much better to be, I, 
I like the I like the iPhone in general as a platform because of how nimble it is. And um, so I'm always trying to play to the strengths of whatever platform I'm using. And so if, with the iPhone, it's one of its greatest strengths is its nimble agility. And so I'd like to play to those strengths. And I'd, I've always felt that, um, you know, if I had the, the smaller one, it's just more nimble and agile. With all the traveling you've done with the iPhone 10, um, I think you're in a unique position. Most of us have only had it a week or so. Um, how was the battery life for the iPhone 10 as a traditional plus-sized phone user for you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't test that in depth. It's hard to know because I'm because um, my usage is so erratic. Uh, like getting it started and downloading all the apps and transitioning from here to there and always charging. I have this rule when I'm traveling, which is always be charging when you can be charging uh, because, you know, you, you could end up with a power blackout for two days and it could sideline your whole job. So um, I just, I haven't gotten into that in depth, but I would say the battery life so far has been uh, pretty reasonable. I did a, I did do a test when I got back to my studio where I was at like 21%. And I wanted to test uh, the USB-C uh, speed charging. And so I was like, I need to, I need to run this thing out. So I, I pulled up a TV show and I was like, you know, put the brightness on full and put the audio up max. And I was like, just going to run it out. I watched three hours for 20%. <laughs> and I was like, I was like getting annoyed. I was like, I just want to finish this test so I can move on with my life. Um, but it just kept going. It finally died. And it actually like, I don't know why, I don't know if this is something with the software or what, but the final percentage, the last 1% took in, it took an incredible amount of time to kill. Um, so I don't know if that was just my scenario or what, but that's not very, uh, scientific research. It's just the only time I've, uh, tested it at all. So I've had pretty good performance. You know, I think maybe it's just because you and I grew up using these things. I, I mean, I am manic about charging always. I, I, if I get in the car, I plug it in. I, I even bought with this iPhone 10, I bought a little, um, anchor, um, magnetic charger that sits on my desk. So every time I'm at my desk, the phone just sits on the little charger and trickle charges in as I sit there. So it's like never not charging for me, which was as a result, I almost never have battery below 50%. Right. And that's nice. Uh, if, if you're like that, the wireless charger is a nice, uh, is a nice option. Yeah, it is. It is. Now I want to talk a bit about on the iPhone 10 there, there is, I thought one of the biggest improvements on the camera for me is the, the selfie portrait mode. Um, and that's, so now they, you know, Apple has always had the portrait mode. Well, actually it hasn't always just the last couple of years. We've had this portrait mode where it uses the dual lens system to take impressive, you know, kind of bokeh style pictures from the front facing camera. But now that they've got all this face ID stuff, they have a map of of your face. They know what's close. They're using an entirely different kind of technology system to to do portrait mode on the self facing camera. I cannot get over how good it is. It's really it's it's really pretty cool, and it's uh, you know it goes back to that computational photography conversation. You know, I sat down uh, with the Apple engineers and was asking them a little bit about it, and. Um, you know, that's, it's crazy that we're, you're getting the exact same look and effect, but it's using a radically different technology. And that's, we haven't really seen that in photography before. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and so, yeah, on the, uh, rear facing lens, uh, 
which, uh, you know, we've been shooting portrait mode with over a year now, uh, for it uses the two lenses, uh, two separate lenses to create a depth map, much like our eyes. And so it needs, uh, light available light in order to create that depth map. And then on the front facing lens or the front facing camera, it doesn't have a dual lens. So it uses the true depth camera to create a depth map using the infrared that it projects. And then it, uh, it creates, a, it must, what must be a very similar depth map. And it, uh, does the blurring using that. And I didn't see the, a big difference in terms of performance in that test in terms of like edge detail and just overall, uh, like blur quality. Uh, but I did notice a couple of things. One, <clears throat> given that the front facing camera, uh, provides its own infrared light for the depth map. I, I thought it'd be interesting to try to do a portrait in like near total darkness. So on one of my night flights, which, you know, a night flight is essentially pitch black. There's no light. I, uh, I decided to do a test where I would see if I could shoot a portrait of myself with the rear facing camera and the front facing camera and the uh, rear facing camera wasn't able to create a depth map at all. And, uh, just about blinded me with the brightness of the flash, but then, uh, the front facing camera, because it doesn't need light, again, it's providing its own infrared light to implement this effect. It actually performed perfectly fine. And so it, it, it used the invisible infrared light, created the depth map and it, it did a great job. Um, and that's something that the, um, that the rear facing camera can't at all in that type of environment. And, uh, the other thing to know too about the front facing camera is that, um, it's, uh, it's, um, it's also quite a bit wider perspective. Uh, so, uh, where the, uh, rear facing camera uses the telephoto lens, it's a little bit tighter, um, uh, field of view, much like you'd see like a, a classic 50 millimeter lens on a, on a DSLR. Uh, it's more of that type of perspective where the front facing camera is a lot, a bit wider, um, quite a bit wider, uh, and it still applies with F-map. Yeah. The, the other thing I've noticed with the, um, the, the selfie portrait mode is that it seems to me like the bokeh or the, uh, the blurring effect is even more pronounced. And I don't know, maybe it's just because of the way I've been shooting them. Um, but it's, it seems a little more even dramatic, I guess would be the right word. Um, I was talking to my daughter about it, who's a college age kid and, and her and her friends are all aware of this. Apparently it's like a meme going around in their age <laughs> that, you know, you're not worthy of the iPhone portrait camera. Now you have to be like good looking to take a picture. Cause it's just too nice. I, I saw some of that stuff on Twitter today and people were com almost, you know, complaining that it's, it just makes you look too real. And, uh, and that, you know, that's actually, that's just a hilarious continuation of a, previous conversation uh you know because as cameras continue to get better that that kind of ethical conversation and just moral dilemma presents itself as like how real do we want it to actually actually be that's crazy well so if you're sitting at home with an iphone 6 uh this this iphone 10 camera system you are really gonna like it um um the um uh, iPhone eight, I think you're probably fine with the iPhone eight. iPhone seven is a hard one. I don't know if it's worth upgrading just for the sake of the camera or not. Um, what, what would you say are the big differences between the seven and the ten, just generally? If you're if you're working with a seven plus, I mean, yeah, as a you know, I always tell people like if you're happy with your phone and you don't feel like you are hitting its 
its limitation, its limits, then by all means, like keep it, you know, there's no reason you have to just run out and get it. Um, but uh, Apple does do a good job. Their team is constantly working on innovating and looking for different ways that the tools that they build can enrich the lives uh, of the people that use them. And I, that's their, you know, that's a, that's, that's a major effort that we see each year. And, and each year there's new tools that, that do that in a better way. And, uh, so I think like the, the biggest jumps that you'd see between my <clears throat> a seven, uh, plus and an iPhone 10, uh, it's, it's a lot better at portrait mode. The portrait mode is always a little bit, is a little slower and just less reliable on the seven and even the, the eight. Um, uh, and you know, the, the screen is, Stunning. The size is again a step uh, smaller. I, I not a lot of people understand that the the screen on the uh, the ten is five point eight inches across uh, diagonal, and the screen on the plus is five point five inches diagonal. But the case of the ten is about the same size as the non plus phone. So you're looking at yeah, it's like the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside, right? Yeah, and. Um, and so that's that's something to really consider. Uh, that I think um, for me it's a it's a really it's a really big one. And then um, you know the stable again the stabilized telephoto lens is a nice step up. And then um, just overall speed um, it feels pretty pretty snappy. The, um, I don't know all, a whole lot about the A11 Bionic chip, but I think it's got I think the um, the 10, I could be wrong on this, but I think the 10 has three gigs of RAM and the, um, the seven has two. So you're going to see a speed, you're going to see a speed bump in general on, on that front. Yeah. In fact, you saw, you have this really cool rig where you put two iPhones on kind of like, I guess it's a, what would you call it? It's not, it's not a tripod. It's kind of like just a, a gimbal or a mount. Yeah. It's a rail. Yeah. So I, um, got a rail on Amazon and then I use, um, I worked with a company called Studio Neat in Austin to create a, uh, what I think, obviously biased to be the best iPhone tripod mount, which is, uh, it's called the Glyph. Oh yeah. We're big fans of it here. Yeah. And Studio Neat's on our network. Okay, cool. So yeah, we started talking a bit, uh, when they were talking about redesigning it and, uh, went through a couple rounds of just kind of R and D and, uh, I really felt like a quick release was important and also multiple mount points. And so. Uh, those guys are brilliant and with just, you know, obviously they had all kinds of feedback and insight, but, um, yeah, I think what they came out with and what they, uh, have created is, uh, really special. So I've, um, I, I love it. So I put two, I, I actually put, so I've got the rail and then I put two ball heads, little tiny Giotto ball heads from Amazon, um, on top of that. And then I put two glyphs on top of that. And, uh, that way I've got independent flexibility where I can control the angle and everything between the two phones. And, uh, and then I mount that on my tripod on a head. So then I've got this kind of whole system that I can just run around just about anywhere and shoot, uh, true more, you know, quite a bit more scientific and controlled, uh, uh, side by side, even out when I'm out in Guatemala. And, and you had a video on your review where I think it, you're out on a street somewhere at night and I, was it a seven or an eight versus a 10, but you had two different cameras. Yeah. It's a seven. Yeah. Seven versus a 10. So I originally was going to shoot it. Um, really the test was 
the slow slink, slow sink shutter, which that's actually something I hadn't mentioned earlier, but that's probably one of the biggest upgrades that we've seen uh, this year, which is available on the eight and the 10. And uh, it basically photographers will be really familiar with this, uh, the, even the term slow sink shutter. But uh, basically what's happening is that it allows the shutter of the camera to stay open for just a little bit longer when you're working with flash. And so it allows more natural ambient light to flood into the sensor to complement and kind of fill and warm up the, the rest of the, the flashed part of the image. And so it gives you a, a stronger sense of ambiance and a better sense of place uh, where with a seven, uh, you're going to, when you use the flash, it really just properly exposes whatever the flash hits and then it kind of drops out everything else in the background. It doesn't allow a lot of natural light in. So you don't get a very good sense. You don't really get to see what's the environment that they're in. It's just the person is properly exposed. So it's a big upgrade. And that was one of the big hits of the iPhone 8 review that I did in India. Because um, it wasn't really talked about a lot. So anyway, when I was in Guatemala, I thought, okay, I'll test this. And, um, and so I was out on the street uh, shooting some, took, took some little uh, Guatemalan taxis that were going by and you know so there's some motion involved and i wanted to see what would happen with the slow sink shutter and um uh so what i actually found is um not only did the iphone 10 uh let a lot more ambient light in and allow me to kind of blur and get this that kind of cool blurry night effect uh but it it also was way more responsive. Um, yeah, in the video, you can see the iPhone 7, it's a good second and a half to two seconds behind the 10 in terms of, like, focusing, metering, and actually shooting. Yeah, you know how much money we're going to cost listeners. we got to stop talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Omni Group. You can learn more by heading over to omnigroup.com. So if you're listening to this podcast, chances are pretty good that you've got a shiny new iOS device and you're running the latest version of the operating system. Well, good news. Omni Group is ready to help you. OmniFocus for iOS brings in-depth task management features of a desktop application directly to your fingertips. OmniFocus for iOS is a full-fledged task management system. It's not just where you can check off things that you do and get by until you get to your desktop app, although it works great with the desktop app and will keep everything in sync. But OmniFocus for iOS is a true task management system. It offers flexible viewing options, location awareness, and on-the-fly task entry from just about everywhere. It is the trusted system that you need for managing your busy life. It allows you to keep track of tasks by project, by place, by person, or date. And with OmniFocus, you'll always have your most important information at hand, whether it's something as simple as a grocery list or a much more involved project that's going to take you months or even years to complete. In fact, I realized that I had been using OmniFocus for over 10 years because I just had to renew my passport. And yep, that was a task in OmniFocus. And if you've upgraded to iOS 11, you have even new features to play with on OmniFocus, including drag and drop support and native Siri support. So if you're looking at your task list and you want a range of a few things, no problem. Just click on it, drag it around, move it around. You're in total control. Not only can you rearrange items from within OmniFocus, but you can take items from other applications, like maybe an email message or maybe text from another application or something that was sent to you and drag that into OmniFocus. So you've got that on your task management list as well. 
well. And you can also use your virtual assistant on your iPhone to help you manage all of your projects as well. So check out these and all the other great features by heading over to omnigroup.com. You can download OmniFocus for iOS in the App Store and get a two-week free trial. So thanks to Omni for their strong support of Mac Power users. Austin, I'd like to take a minute to talk about the Photos app, you know, Apple's camera app. Do you use that much? Uh, I do. I've been using it quite a bit uh, more lately. Um, there's a couple of features in there that are really powerful that I feel like people just don't know are there. My favorite feature is the ability to, uh, is the machine learning that is in, uh, in search and the ability to search for like just words like binoculars and it finds every single picture that has binoculars in it. And people don't do that, but they don't realize the power that's there. You can search for leopard or dog. You can also search for German shepherd and it finds not just dog, but it finds German shepherds in your library. And that works really well on the iPhone. And it also works really well. I actually think it might work a little bit better on the iPhone, but then on the, on the Mac and then photos app, it works as well. But sometimes it doesn't seem like it's quite as consistent, Um, but it's incredibly powerful. And if you haven't used it, I would, strongly encourage you to go test it. It's going to kind of blow your mind what it can find inside your library. Yeah. Although I will say that uh, my test every time they come out with a new version of this is because uh, I, I don't go to India and Guatemala. I go to Star Wars conventions because I'm a nerd and uh, <laughs> I still, I, I still cannot search Wookiee. It, it doesn't look for Wookiees yet. Oh, so I, I feel like, well, I feel like they're kind of letting me down a little bit. Next time I have a briefing with the engineers, I'll have to share that with them. Yeah. If you, if you know anybody there, please drop a dime for me on, on Wookiees. We need, we need, you know, Wookiee rights, but no, you're right. That's great. But what I was actually talking about is just, I find that the photos app, um, and a lot of people, it's easy to poo-poo the built-in apps and say, well, there's always some third-party app that's better. But for just the, the act of taking pictures, um, there's a lot to like about the built-in photos app. I mean, is that which one, where, where do you capture photos on the iPhone? Which apps do you use for that? For actually shooting on the iPhone, I'm like 99% uh, native camera. So I just, you know, it's the most stable. It's the fastest. To access the most consistent and uh it just is always you know I, I i worked in the early days with some of the other apps before apple had really invested a ton in the camera app but uh, it's been a long time since i i really regularly shot with anything else the only time i pull up a third party app for shooting is if i'm in really low light um uh, environment i use a tool like cortex cam or nightcap pro uh for really low light shots um or uh, sometimes I use Filmic Pro for a little bit of extra control when shooting uh, video. And um, I've actually been working with some friends on making an app of my own. Uh, and right now it's called Bullet. It's in beta testing. And I've been using that a bit. It basically allows, it allows me to fire uh, an image on uh, a, a master iPhone and then I can have up to 10 slaves that fire at the exact same moment and it's connected uh over wireless and uh and then is it bluetooth or is it It actually uses to add it uses a mix of wi-fi and bluetooth for the connectivity so uh because it's got to be right on if it's gonna work yeah i know it, it's uh it sinks down to the hundredth of a second so you could you could set up one of those rigs kind of like everybody is with the gopros where you get a bar of them 
and and shoot them all. Oh, that's going to be fun. When, when do you expect that to come out? If you can say, well, we're not sure. It's not on the forefront of our, I, I, we got it. We got the beta test pushed out for my iPhone review, which is why I wanted it. So I could test, um, these side by sides and, uh, get like exact, like precise moments, uh, that way. But, um, I don't know. I don't know when we're going to, uh, get to it, but I've been experimenting with that a little bit. So, um, I'll keep you in the loop when we, uh, once we get it pushed out to the store. Okay. And then just to, just to kind of round out, you said there were some low light apps you like, um, what were they again? There's Cortex Cam, uh, C-O-R-T-E-X-C-A-M, all one word. Uh, so Nightcap Pro. So Nightcap Pro has a couple more features, and um, I find that both of them are, are um, they both work pretty well. Uh, Cortex Cam is a little bit more simple. Nightcap Pro might be a little bit more powerful. Yeah, I've been using one lately called ProCam, P-R-O-C-A-M, and I use the same thing, like long exposures, and, um, like it, it, the long exposure features on pro cam are really cool. I, w- I was taking a picture at Disneyland of the cars going by and you can, there's a mode where it can make streaks out of lights, you know, like it's light painting and there's some cool stuff like that, that I feel like Apple would never put in the photos app. But, um, I like you, I, I feel like, uh, the launch speed alone is one of the reasons why I so often use Apple's camera app because it just, you get into it because I mean, if you want to take a picture, usually something's happening. You want to get into it very quickly. Uh, that's, that's a nice feature in the iPhone 10. That's actually on the unlock screen where you can just press the button and you're in the camera or swipe from the right side. Um, but, but what are the, and I know you've got a, a big course coming out on how to take better pictures of your phone. Um, what are some of the, the things a lot of people are missing about the built-in photos app in terms of capturing photos? I don't think enough people, uh, use burst mode. Uh, I think burst mode is really powerful, especially in travel photography when there's so much, uh, so many serendipitous moments that present themselves and, and, and then they'll never come back and just making sure that you get that exact precise framing that you want or the perfect expression or whatever. I use, I use burst just across the board, all the, like almost everything that I'm shooting, whether it's people or uh, landscapes or whatever, low light, I think burst, burst is actually really helpful for low light because, um, you know, if you've got like, I, I, there was one time when I was shooting an image of this guy with the iPhone uh, seven plus, uh, and he was, these two guys were on a boat, uh, on like Kivu right between Congo and Rwanda. And it was way after sunset and, and the boat was kind of rocking. But, you know, when the boat rocks, like whenever it's changing direction, it stops for like a split second, you know, if it's going back and forth. And so I just bursted for like, you know, several hundred frames and I got a, a sharp one uh, because I, he wasn't in motion. And so I think like uh, that can be really powerful. And then, you know, I think the, the quick access um, itself is uh, really powerful. I think. Let me just interrupt you there. It's just because I think some people won't even know how to do burst mode. Uh, so burst mode on the iPhone photo app, you just hold down the shutter button. If you're looking at somebody, you just put your finger over the button and hold it there. And it doesn't work in portrait mode, uh, yet. So as many, so as long as you hold the button down there, it'll take as many exposures. And like the one, this is always kind of, I always felt of it like it's the dad mode, right? Where you're taking a picture of your kid and kids always close their eyes when you take their picture. 
but they also always open them eventually. <laughs> so right. if, you, if you hold down the burst mode, you'll probably get the one. Uh, but something I think a lot of people run into trouble with burst mode, and since, you know, you're the pro at it, so you can probably tell tell people how to do this better, is just when you take burst mode, you do take a lot of pictures. Like maybe you took 30 pictures or 50 or 100. Um, how does the iPhone know which one to pick and how do you go through and, and deal with that? I mean, can you throw away the extras and uh, what's your workflow for dealing with burst mode shots? Yeah. So what I do is, um, I, I'll do a burst and it's really funny. I mean, I, I literally, sometimes my burst burst will be 999 frames. That's where it ends. Wow. So you just max it out. I just max it out. If I'm waiting for a moment and I know it's going to be fleeting, and I won't, I don't have lead time. Uh, you know, like if it's a bird flying out the top of the Taj Mahal or something, and I want to get this perfect frame of the bird, you know, if he chooses to fly, I like, I have no lead time. So I might just wait there for several minutes, just bursting. And so, uh, it's kind of funny. It used to be that the limit was nine ninety nine, And, uh, actually this year it's now 600. So I don't think very many people are hitting that boundary though. Um, so, um, but so now I'll, I'll burst for a, a solid 600. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so just either holding the volume button as the shutter or holding the, the button on screen as the shutter, uh, it will, will trigger, will trigger that. And once you've shot it, it, it nicely bundles all those bursts into one single, uh, like package inside of your photos. And, uh, and then when you click on it, uh, when you're reviewing your photos, it allows you, you can click uh, select and then it'll allow you to scroll left and right through all of your kind of a timeline of all of the images in the burst. So the first image that you shot, the furthest on the left and, and so on, and kind of starts you in the middle. But it, it's actually gotten quite a bit smarter uh, uh, in terms of like choosing which one it thinks is the best out of the whole selection. Uh, so if you've got like, it, it recognizes faces, it recognizes sharpness, so it's going to choose by default the, the key photo that it makes is going to be, uh, or that it, that it selects is probably going to be the one that has the most faces in focus. Yeah. So if the kid, if the kid is in focus and has got his eyes open, that's probably the one it's going to pick. Yeah. And it does a pretty good job. Um, you know, if you're shooting landscape and architecture, that's a lot more, uh, like subjective, uh, in terms of what you might like, but it'll in that, in that instance, it'll just choose whichever one's sharpest if there's any like motion in the shot. And so, but it, you know, the, again, that goes back to some of the machine learning stuff. It knows if you've got a bird in the frame or a dog and all those different things. And it, it, it makes pretty good assumptions on what your, what your favorite might be. And then, so after you've selected your favorite, uh, you can select just one, uh, if you want, or you can select, you know, a hundred out of 150 or however many you want. And uh, so you, to select them, you just tap on the screen. You see a little blue check mark that tells you you've selected it. And uh, once you've selected your favorite or favorites, you can uh, choose to either keep everything, uh, keep them all, and or you can say keep only the selected ones. And uh, and then that'll get rid of all the the extras that you didn't want, and uh, it'll put all the ones that you checked in your in your main album. Uh, and so, yeah, I use that quite a bit and it just turns out to be a really functional uh, feature for uh, almost any shooting scenario. And if you use this feature a few years ago or whatever, and you thought it was tedious and using up too much space, 
they have made the process to pick one or two images so much easier and faster now. So it's definitely worth doing. But I never realized that. So you use that in almost all your pictures. That's a, that's actually a good idea. Pretty much. I use it a lot. I use it way more than the others. You know, it's it's easy to get rid of the, the, the fluff, the stuff that you don't need. It's easy to select it. And, it, and you can even now tell your uh, iPhone not to upload all your bursts um, if, to like iCloud uh, just to save your data. So um, you can check that on or off. So there's a lot better support for it. And um, just really, there's no reason not to uh, in a lot of scenarios. What are some of your other favorite features with the Photos app? Yeah, so I think uh, this year with iOS 11, we got a new uh, dedicated setting zone for camera. So if you go into your settings and then uh, you scroll down a bit, you'll see uh, it used to be called photos and camera, but now we have one called just camera. And in there, there's a couple of different uh, features that you can play with. And I think, you know, this is one of the first places I go whenever we get new software, new iOS, is just check out what's what's going on in here. What are the new things that have been added? And um, uh, there's a handful of new stuff in here. So there's uh, preserve, preserve settings, which means that um, if you change the settings in your native camera, they're going to be remembered that way. So when you open the app again, it's going to, um, it's going to be the same as it was before. And then you can turn on the grid in here now. Uh, But one kind of cool feature that comes along with grid is if you turn on the grid, you can actually, um, there's a crosshairs that uh, pops up in your camera when you're uh, pointing straight down um, or straight up. Um, and it's, uh, it's kind of cool, actually. There's So if you want to shoot, the idea is that it's for shooting documents. Uh, and if you want to make sure that you're perfectly uh, straight up and down, um, you've got these, a yellow crosshair that moves and a white crosshair that's fixed, and you got to line them up to, to get uh, a perfectly parallel shot looking straight down. Um, and so that, that's kind of a cool a little hidden feature. And if you're not familiar with the grid, it's a, um, what is it called? The rule of thirds, I believe. I don't remember the. Yeah, rule of thirds. Yeah. So basically it draws a tic-tac-toe square on your camera. And if you don't know anybody, you're like, well, what would they do that for? The, the idea is if you frame a shot with interesting subjects at the intersection of those lines, it's going to come out better. So like if you're looking at your, uh, your boyfriend and you take a picture and you put him right in the center, um, that's okay. But if you actually adjust the shot slightly to put him on that vertical line and put his face intersection with the horizontal line uh, on that grid, and then you kind of frame something behind him, it actually comes out a much better picture. So I always use it because it's a kind of a good way to remind myself to frame my pictures better. And it's and it's just really easy. It, do, it doesn't come on the final image, obviously. It just helps you set it up. And with that OLED screen, it's even easier to see. Yeah, and I, I like it. I also like it for precision shooting. And like when I'm doing my side-by-side test, I use it as a tool to make sure both of the phones are perfectly aligned at the same point. So I'll choose a point in the image that's like, you know, the corner of a door or something. And I'll make sure that both phones are, uh, you know, precisely on that point so that I get a perfect angle. But um, if I'm wanting to shoot consistently, maybe if I'm shooting like 10 portraits and I want to make sure they're all framed identically i'll use the grid for something like that um and you like uh, and like david said you know it's also just it's a general principle that makes for great aesthetics is the the rule of thirds so that's a nice thing to be able to turn on and off for when you want and uh and then um yeah i think you know there's a few different 
tools in terms of we, this year we got a new feet, the, the new compression mode, the HEIF, um, high efficiency, uh, kind of JPEG killer, they call it, uh, that is a new compression format for your images and your movies. And that takes up, uh, like 40% less space than a JPEG. Um, and without, um, they say really with, no, no more loss or compression artifacts than than a JPEG. And, uh, so far, everything looks really good. We still got some compatibility issues, but um, it's it's uh, pretty pretty beautiful. So um, making make sure you're shooting in that. But also, if you're needing to use the images, just make sure you're upgraded to High Sierra and um, and maybe do, run a demo before uh, you're under the gun. Make sure that everything is working okay because I can speak from experience that I've been under the gun with, uh, without everything working uh, quite right. So if you, if you do run into that challenge, uh, you can always switch back to, uh, the more, uh, the more compatible or I forget what they call it, like, uh, most compatible format, which is JPEG. And that'll, that's just a little bit easier to work with, uh, at this point. What do you think about um, the current status of the HDR feature in the Photos app? Do you use it much? And you know, what do you think? Yeah, so um, I turn off auto HDR. Uh, I I don't. I like I like as a professional uh, and working with uh, tools as a professional. For it's a lot about control and consistency. And so um, I want to be able to turn HDR on or off. I don't want to think like, oh, I. I feel like this should be HDR. I hope the iPhone hopes it sh- thinks it should be HDR too. Um, you know, I, I like to have the control. So I turn off auto HDR because when you turn on auto HDR, it takes it out of the native camera completely and then it just chooses for you. You don't have the chance to do it. And so um, I want to be able to turn it on or off um, from within the app, like real quickly, because if I'm shooting something and I, I know I want to expose these clouds better, then I just want to be able to flip it on. So, I, I do that, and I also keep the normal photo. I like having the original data uh, in case, you know, the, the one thing about HDR is it's, it's shooting multiple images and different, uh, really, really quickly at different exposures. And so um, for those of you that might not be familiar, HDR stands for high dynamic range. And it basically, uh, when, we're, when, we're, when our eye is looking around an environment, we're seeing it's constantly adjusting to the different lights. So if I'm looking down at the shadows, my eye is adjusting for that. And if I'm looking up at the sky, my eye is adjusting for that. Well, the camera works in a very similar way, but when you snap a photo, it can't expose for both of them because it can't adapt. So HDR is the way that a camera uh, kind of replicates that. And it, it takes a shot that exposes for the shadows and then it takes a spot that exposes for the uh, the, the clouds and then it merges them into one shot. So you see something more like what your eyes would see if you were actually, if you were actually there. So it's a, it's a powerful uh, feature and, um, uh, and it's, it's really, it can be really helpful. The only challenge is sometimes if you have a really fast moving uh, object, like a bird flying through your frame, you might see a little bit of ghosting as uh, what we call it, uh, where you see a, um, these two different images merge. You might see like an outline between that fast moving object. And so that's why I like to keep my original image. Um, Cause if there is a ghosting effect, I want to be able to fall back on the original uh, to, to fix it if needed. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's come a long way on the iPhone though. It's, it's better than it used to be. Way better. 
the classic like application of this is if you're taking a picture of a person and they've got like a bright sky behind them and then like you you take the picture and you look at it and the the sky looks good and the person is like a dark shadow you can't even see the person's face and that's that's a good place where you want hdr so it'll take an exposure of the person where it adjusts for that person and takes another picture of the background and it merges them but it's a tool I think you should definitely be using. I have left it on. I, I, I'm lazy, I guess. And so I now it just does it when it feels like it needs to. And I just haven't really had much of a problem with it. But I, I don't do the kind of pictures you take. So I, I think I'm much farther down the um, the food chain than you are when it comes to this stuff. Well, like you said, I mean, it's, it's, it has gotten leaps and bounds better. And like the ghosting is like almost non-existent now. And it does make really good decisions on when should you HDR and when should you not. And I think for most users, um, yeah, you know, the iPhone is so smart and, um, there'll probably be a point where it makes even better decisions than, than me and, uh, you know, professionals across the board, I think, and it probably already does, but, I just like having the extra control. What, what do you think about the live feature photo in photos? Um, I've been using it. Uh, the live came out with the 6S, and uh, um, I, I think it's a great tool. I, I think it's great because you can capture more. You're just you're capturing more data that can be used later. I think uh, you know a little bit of motion, a little bit of sound, like. I, for me, as a professional photographer, I see my role as bridging a gap between the the subject and the audience. And uh, one of the big ways that we bridge a gap, you know, the more data that we have to bridge that gap, the better. So if I, you know, take a picture of a of a cow in Africa or something, like you might see it and be like, "Wow, that cow looks so different." But if I take a picture that's all live photos, then you would see it and say that cow looks so different, and it sounds so different or whatever or sounds just the same because actually it does it's the cow but it's more data to accomplish that same mission of bridging that gap and so i like having it i leave it on all 100 uh, percent of the time and then you know recently we've been getting these new kind of fun ways to implement live photos and uh kind of experiment with that extra data if you are looking at an image that you shot that's a live photo in your photos app you can swipe up and you'll see a couple of different effects that you can apply. So you can loop the motion, you can uh, you can bounce it, and then you can uh, long use long exposure, which is kind of interesting. Um, long exposure, uh, I, I think that, like a tool like Focam is really great for the long exposures. And if you're really planning on shooting a long exposure, I think you might have better luck with Focam or Nightcap Pro or something like that. But uh, the bounce and loop features are are really nice, and they're good for posting up on Instagram stories or just sending to a friend or whatever, and they can be really fun. Yeah, I like my. Uh, there's some babies in my family, and I I never fully appreciated live photos until I started getting these images of all these these little one year olds, and then you know when you look at the picture, it's a cute picture, but if you activate the live photo and you can see them standing up or taking a few steps, it's it's really, I, I can see why this is a big feature for a lot of people. And it is interesting to see Apple now trying to take that data and do more with it. Uh, the long exposure thing, the only time I've had any real success with it is putting it in a glyph and putting it on a tripod. 
And at that point, you might as well just take a long exposure, you know. Um, right, right. But the uh, but yeah, um, is there anything else? Uh, any other big items on the the built-in camera app that people should be looking at? Not really. Not that comes to my mind. I I one thing you know, I always put my camera uh, in the control center uh, so that I can quickly access it. Um, so if you go to settings and then control center and then customize controls. That's where you can uh, customize that. And I always put the camera in the bottom right. So it's closest to my, uh, I'm right-handed. So it's closest to my right thumb. And that's a, that, that way, if you're, you know, of course you can get, you can access the camera from your lock screen, but if you're in it, you know, not locked and you're just looking at your home screen or your Safari or something, uh, that's the quickest way to, to get to your camera generally. Um, so that, that's something to know. Um, also, a nice feature about playing the control center is you can 3D touch it and get straight to the type of camera you want. You know, So if you want to get to video or selfie or whatever. Yeah, you can jump straight to it. And I, they added a camera on the um, iPhone 10 home screen or uh, lock screen. And uh, I would love to see a 3D touch feature on that camera. That would be a really big upgrade. Um, that little camera icon. Uh, I'd be nice to be able to jump into yeah portrait mode or something straight yeah, i think you wrote that in your review or i, I read that somewhere but but the uh, yeah i wrote that it seems so obvious that you know why wouldn't you be able to just i wouldn't yeah well you know that's what they have uh, upgrades for <laughs> they'll get there eventually hopefully it gets there um and, you know portrait mode is really powerful um they've got this year we came out with they came out with a uh, portrait lighting and uh <clears throat> i think that's uh a pretty uh, it's a pretty nice feature and it, it's really good at replicating um, actual lighting effects that professionals use, uh, like studio light. It's, the studio light feature literally looks like uh, in the photography world, we hold bounce cards outside of the frame to bounce uh, light into people's uh, faces. And we use silver cards, gold cards, and white cards. And it looks just like a gold card is right out of the frame. And that's uh, really cool. And it's not just, you know, lightening the face. It's actually taking the depth map that it has and applying the light to that depth map. And you can really appreciate that in the way that the natural feel of the light is falling on the face. And, uh, it, it, um, it properly interacts with the shadows and it just looks really great. So that's inside of portrait mode um, of the camera. And then, you know, there's a, everyone always swipes between modes. Um, but you can actually tap, uh, to jump between different modes, which is kind of cool. So, uh, that's one little like trick. So like if you're in, if you're in photo, you can actually, uh, like tap square and jump and get past portrait instead of swiping. So, uh, that's not something that everybody, uh, understands or appreciates. Um, one thing that's really remarkable, and this is something I, I asked quite a bit of, the uh, uh, um, of the engineers that I was speaking with is how does it if I'm at one point by that what how is that optical image right because if I'm at one point five x I have a I have a lens that shoots at you know twenty eight millimeters and I have a lens that shoots at fifty two millimeters so how am I going to shoot at thirty five and with without it being a, a, a digital zoom um, on the, the one X on the 28 millimeter lens. And, uh, in my mind, I'm like, I never want to shoot 
at 1.5x because it has to be digital, right? Yeah, I'm always afraid of that too. <laughs> That's a good question. After asking them and talking to them, it's really kind of mind-blowing. I don't really understand exactly how it works. But they actually merge data from both lenses in real time. And so the center of your frame might be the 2x lens, and then the outside of your frame might be the 1x uh, lens. And uh, really crazy how it's all working. But um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty nuts. So um, I, I put some gels, I put a yellow gel uh, on one lens and then like a blue gel on another lens and did a bunch of testing on that. It's really nuts. It's a, um, I, I, somebody told me Apple has a lot of people on that camera team that they, they are putting lots of resources into this. Yeah. And uh, it, it, I think it's true because every year it seems like it just gets exponentially better. Definitely getting better. Uh, on the camera app, there, there's the pano mode. What, what's some good advice for people that want to take uh, pano panoramic shots? I think a, I think that's something that there is a little bit of an art to it. There really is an art. I would say for, first and foremost, you know, just practice it a lot and get a feel for how it works. I think uh, the best thing you can do is just um, but is hold uh, is one know that you can't go too slow. So like literally you can go the speed of a snail as you, as you rotate and that helps the camera, especially if it's low light, just capture a better image. And, uh, so just remember that. And then, um, you know, you can switch from going left to right to right to left just by tapping on one side or the other on the arrow. And that's, that's helpful. Um, you can also shoot two X panos, which not a lot of people do. Uh, but I find it can be really helpful. I was just shooting some in Guatemala, the, volcanoes that i was around were a little bit far away and i there was just tons of stuff i didn't need in the foreground in the lower part of the frame and top part of the frame i just switched into 2x and shot uh 2x panel which is actually you know it's nice having the iphone 10 for that because you're um you're working with a higher quality lens for those panels and uh and then you can also tap um to focus and you can even tap and hold the aeaf lock on specific parts of the image so if you want to um, I always, I always, uh, you know, identify what's the most important part of this image, uh, and before I shoot it, and then I tap on that image, uh, that part of the image to make sure that the camera is going to expose, uh, properly for it. And if I really want to make sure I'm locked in on that and from a focus and exposure standpoint, you can touch and hold until it blinks. And uh, it says in yellow, uh, AEAF lock, which is auto exposure, auto focus lock. And then that'll, that'll disregard everything else in the image except for that point and make sure that that point is properly exposed. And so that's helpful for some environments uh, where you don't care about uh, other parts of the image and you just want to make sure, or maybe you want to silhouette other parts of the image and you just want to make sure that a brighter part is properly exposed or something like that. A photographer friend once told me when you're shooting a pano that you want to keep the the phone like in one spot, like it's rotating on one axis rather than holding your arm out and moving your arm. He told me that actually holding your arm out actually makes it worse. Is that true? I don't even know if that's true or not. Yeah, that is true. So um, fortunately, the engineers at Apple have done a tremendous job of compensating for that. And it's less true maybe on the iPhone than it would have been uh, with the camera. But without... Uh, in, a, in a 
short summary, every lens has a nodal point and we want to rotate around that nodal point. And uh, in traditional photography, we would prefer to rotate around that point, which is really, it's actually where the light uh, uh, on a, on a lens is, is intersecting. We want to, we, that's the nodal point and that's where we want to rotate around. Um, anyway, all this to say with the iPhone, um, yeah. And really any camera, the more that you can rotate around the lens itself instead of around your body, the better. So I try to hold the iPhone as close to my body as possible when I'm rotating. I still want to see it, but I'm also going to hold it, um, closer in so that I'm, I'm closer to rotating uh, around the actual lens versus around myself. Otherwise, what happens is you you get objects that don't align with each other um, if you're swinging around uh, a big wide swing. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Jamf Now. Manage your Apple devices from anywhere and get your first three devices for free. Just go to jamf, J-A-M-F dot com slash MPU. For so long, mobile device management was like this dirty word where you needed to hire somebody fancy to come in and help you manage devices. With our sponsor, Jamf Now, that's just not true anymore. Jamf allows you to manage all of your Apple devices from anywhere. When you first start your own business, it's pretty easy to keep track of your own computer and phone. But as you grow and start to buy more tech for your employees, it gets harder to keep track of everyone's Macs, iPhones, and iPads and then trying to figure out how to protect sensitive information and lock or wipe the devices gets really complicated. But that's not true with Jamf. With Jamf, all of this gets easy. With Jamf, you can configure settings, protect sensitive information, and even lock or wipe a device from absolutely anywhere. You don't have to worry what happens if your sales guy loses his iPad with all your customer names on it. Just wipe the device and move on. And like I said, you don't need to hire somebody to do this for you. Jamf makes it so easy. Jamf now secures your stuff so you can focus on your business instead. No IT experience required. Just take a moment right now to think about your small business. Is there an employee out there with an iPhone or an iPad with data on it you would like to make sure is under control? If so, stop worrying about that and get over to jamf.com slash MPU today and set up an account. And because you listen to this show, you'll be able to start securing your business immediately by registering your first three devices for free. You can add more at just two bucks a month per device. Don't worry about an expensive IT guy. Go to jamf.com slash MPU, that's J-A-M-F dot com slash MPU, and take control of mobile device management yourself today. My thanks to Jamf Now for their support of this show. Austin, what do you think about shooting video on the iPhone these days? It keeps getting better. Uh, I didn't see, you know, the things that we saw this year that were new uh, for video Again, we're shooting now in the new format, which is, um, you know, uses 40% less data to capture or, uh, you know, storage to capture um, uh, an equivalent uh, quality image. And that applies to photo and video. And so one of the things that that opens up with video is we can now um, shoot higher resolution, slow motion. And um, we, they also gave us... Uh, um, uh, film, I think they call it film style or whatever, 24 frames a second uh, at 4K. So when we're watching 
cinema or most feature length films or really any uh pretty much any film or cinema that you're seeing it's shot in 24 frames a second uh generally and uh but in the past everything we've been capturing is at 30 frames a second which is more of a broadcast standard um and so being able to shoot at 24 um it gives you all that kind of more organic natural look a little bit less crisp edges a little bit less sharp and uh just a little bit more natural feeling and so it's really nice to have 24 frames a second built into the native camera now and for the you know there's there's a handful of featuring films that have come out with the iphone that have been shot on iphone but there's also you know we're always shooting we're shooting video all the time and to have that as a um as a feature is is a is a really nice step up and then um you know we actually shoot most of our content at 60p uh 60 frames a second and you can uh shoot that um at 60 frames a second in full hd um and uh that's that's pretty nice um we like to shoot that way because uh um and you can also i mean you can shoot 60 frames a second at 4k um which is uh really great it's giving you you're capturing twice as many frames per second, which means your motion is going to be super smooth. But uh, it sometimes it looks a little bit doesn't look quite as organic as like uh, the film uh, that film style at uh, 24 frames a second. But one of the big perks of shooting 4K at 60 frames a second is uh, you can drop it into half speed uh, really easy, and because you've got double the data, so you can drop it into half speed slow motion in post and kind of create a dreamy effect. And it's still, you, you're not dropping, you know, and then, then you're running it at 30 frames a second, and, but you're getting uh, two seconds out of every second that you shot. So um, that's kind of cool. The downside to that is you're capturing the same amount of data. And if you're, especially if you're at 4k, um, so if you're looking at like 400 megs a minute uh, versus if you're shooting, 4K at 24 frames a second, and you're, you're capturing about 135 megs a minute. And you're gonna need you're gonna need a 256 gigabyte iPhone if you're gonna do that because you're gonna fill it up quick. I I the thing that's impressed me most about the iPhone video over the last couple of years has been the stability of the shot. Um, I don't know how to put it. I I used to have like a little portable gimbal that I would put the iPhone in when I was gonna walk and take a shot to help kind of stabilize things. But I realized, I, I don't know if it was a two years ago or whatever, whenever, maybe it's when they put the motion stabilization mechanics in the lenses themselves. But man, it seems like the iPhone shoots stable video these days. It's getting better and better for sure. Um, I think there's, there's optical and there's digital stabilization. And uh, whenever I did my 6S review, I did a side-by-side of the, uh, time lapses that are digitally stabilized and it is like unbelievable how much better the success was than the six uh in that specifically and now i remember seeing uh that being a huge jump and now of course we've got the stabilized telephoto lens which impacts both photos and video and so they're 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 always working to create a more a more stable uh image and you know if it's not stable enough there i sometimes i use um, an accessory like the DJI Osmo Mobile, which is a really nice little handheld uh, stabilizer that works great uh, with the iPhone 10 or um, or any other iPhone, and uh, got a nice little handle to it, and it, it gives that really super dreamy, just 
stabilized look. It's pretty cool. What are some good tips for people that just want to shoot a little better video, but just even just like home videos? Uh, you, do you do you use the Photos app, or w- which app do you use to shoot the video with? I guess would be the starting point. I generally I generally use um, I'm I'm generally hanging out in the native camera. Um, you, you can experiment with other stuff like uh, Filmic Pro, or uh, if you're talking about Stabilizer Hyperlapse, uh, the app from Instagram is a really cool one, and um, that's super stabilized. And it allows you to speed it up, but you can also run it in just one X speed. And it's just really, really stable. Um, we use that a lot when like shooting from helicopters and other stuff like that. So it's uh, got a general shake to it and can create a really dreamy effect. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you're at home and I think like hyperlapse can be really cool to shoot, uh, something like really art, just kind of fun and creative at home with the family, just running around it's, just really stable and cool. Um, there's also, um, you know, I, I think that there's something I've, uh, I worked a lot with my friend, uh, Jordan Bellamy, who's a really talented director and filmmaker. And, um, he and I were talking about this. There's, there's something about the old, uh, you know, the old, uh, like eight millimeter cameras and just the old home video cameras that, had a rocker zoom switch on them that would just, you know, go from one X to like 30 X over, you know, a really long period of time. And it's like attached to your hand and you're just like kind of rolling around and you might roll like a whole tape, like an hour. And there's something that's really nostalgic and beautiful about, uh, footage that just kind of rolls when you're at home shooting home videos. It's really fun to watch because it's a great way to kind of re, uh, reemerge into that environment when it's 10 or 20 years later. And so I think when you're shooting home videos, I would encourage you to just let your camera roll instead of just like capturing these clips. Um, and I like kind of the long form style of, um, capturing just, just what happens when it's just kind of just rolling. Um, so I, I think that's kind of a, just an interesting kind of, uh, tip on, on just general home video stuff. And then, you know, I, I think that, um, a really big thing too, um, well, we'll, I'll wait for that. I was going to talk a little bit about sharing, but I think with home videos, now that we don't share enough. Um, uh, but let me think about actual video tips. You know, I think get into your, get into photos and, uh, make sure your settings are the way that, that you want them. Shoot for experiment with shooting 4k at, at, uh, 60p. Uh, the 60 frames a second and that 24 and then yeah, pop into slow-mo mode and like look around your environment, see which different kinds of things would be fun to shoot in slow-mo. You know, you could capture your dog shaking off a wet coat, uh, uh, which is like really cool in slow motion or, you know, splashing in water is a cool thing. If you've got a pool in the backyard, um, there's, there's all kinds of, different things that you can do uh, with video mode. And I think one of the things I, one of the things I saw this year was um, the mic actually is quite a bit better. So don't be afraid to um, not, not actually the hardware, but the way that they've tuned it with software, it's, uh, it's really great for vocals. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, when you're shooting home videos, like it's not just about the video. It's also about the audio. Remember that that's a big, that's what we talked about earlier is, we're looking to bridge the gap between the subject and um, the audience. And when you're looking to do that, you want more data. So don't just think about the visual, think about the sound too. And uh, you know, if you have a moment 
and you have a moment that you want to capture, just take take 30 seconds before and just kind of listen, you know, look and listen and observe and ask yourself what's, what's here that's really interesting and see if there's ways that you can capture more than just the visual, but also the sound too. Something that's really helped me with shooting video with the iPhone is I, I bought the Glyph, uh, you know, they're now the third version, which is really amazing because it, uh, it will fit on any iPhone in any case, the way it's made. It's just a, a much, I think, better design. But I, I went whole hog and they had a package where you got the Glyph and they had this little wooden handle with a tripod mount screw on it. And I'm like, well, I'll just go ahead and get it. I didn't know, you know, so I, so I bought it and I find putting the, the camera and the glyph and, and any kind of tripod base mount and then a handle on the bottom because it's so delicate holding it to shoot video when you've got your hands on, around the sides of the phone, you're afraid you're going to drop it and you want to, you know, you don't want to put your finger in front of the lens or the microphone or whatever, but to put it on that handle, it's really solid. And I find it makes it much easier to walk around and shoot video with it. Yeah, I, I put mine in my glyph and then I, it's connected to my UltraPod too, which is a great little tabletop tripod, plastic, lightweight, so you can throw in your bag. And I, I use that as my handle. So I can throw that down on a tabletop, no problem, but then I can also fold it up and use it as a handle. And I find it's really uh, great for both. But I, I prefer to shoot video that way. It's just it's a little bit more ergonomic and you can also you know, easily hold it upside down and kind of run it along the ground or like you can get some extra height with it if you're trying to get a high angle. And you can also, with the UltraPod, you can use a Velcro mount to uh, like strap it to a uh, like a fence post or I can't even tell you how many hundreds of places I've strapped the UltraPod um, on, on the roof of a train or I on the rails of a helicopter or whatever you, know, you can do all kinds of things but it's all it's really nice for that then so you can just pull it off and use it as a handheld and uh but whatever you do whether it's the ultrapod 2 or it's the wooden handle that comes with the studio neat glyph or something else um it is really nice to have just a little bit of extra grip on the phone what are some of the most common mistakes people make when they shoot video with an iphone not paying attention to sound uh, and just, uh, it can be a little bit nauseating if you're not thinking about the stability much. Um, you can also like going back to the sound, like if your hand is covering the microphone, like you can completely destroy the sound, you know, and, uh, you think it is perfect and you're like, Oh, this is so great. And then you're just either completely muffled or just every you know few seconds you just hear, you know, jarring loud sound because you're touching the mic so um that's a pretty big one yeah i think i think those are those are a couple of off the top of my head yeah um i know there's a religious war over portrait versus landscape um do you feel strongly either way uh yeah kind of funny um i have some friends that made an app that's really beautiful um but and it's a video app and uh, when you open it, uh, you, you want to edit it, and it's called D D E E, and it's uh, it's a it's a neat app. Uh, but when you, it used to be that when you opened it, if you were in vertical, it said turn horizontal. Video is shot is horizontal, <laughs> and it kind of has a strong opinion to the app. But I really think that it had a big impact on the kind of the the just the general. Um, 
you know, growth of the app because I wanted to use it as a tool for Instagram stories, which we all know is vertical or Snapchat or whatever. And so I think that there's, uh, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think that's a hill to die on. And I don't think they do either. And I think they're, um, they're, I think they may be planning to pivot that at some point if they haven't already. But, um, but yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I think you should be capturing it in whatever format is best for conveying the story. And I, sometimes for just like a photo, you know, if I'm shooting a waterfall, generally horizontal isn't a great, it's not a, the, the best way to capture that waterfall. Generally it's going to be a vertical. And so now that people are consuming video uh, in both vertical and horizontal formats, well, like that's the reality. We know that. And that's largely dictated by our device. Um, so I think, I think it makes total sense to shoot vertical video unless you're shooting for cinema. I mean, the world has kind of changed and sometimes you're shooting something that you want to incorporate into something you put on your TV at home and you shoot it one way and other things you want to share in apps or just send to people with phones and you might shoot it another way. Yeah. And I think, I mean, some of the foremost art installations like in Europe and stuff, there's talk about, and there are some vertical cinema screens. Um, and so it's not going to be long until we probably see, we may see vertical, you know, right now those are on the fringe and kind of the cutting edge art scene, but it could be that that becomes a mainstream thing. I'm not sure if it will or not, but a lot of content being shot vertical, that's for sure. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. Visit fracture.me and save 15% off your first Fracture order with the exclusive discount code POWER15. Fracture is a photo decor company that prints your photos digitally onto glass, and they add a laser-cut rigid backing, so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include the little wall anchor, so you've got everything you need. All you have to do is head over to fracture.me, upload your digital photo, pick your size, and boom, it's that simple. Your photos will arrive in the mail. The Fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photo really pop. And the Fracture design is sleek and frameless, so it will match any decorating style. I have about a half dozen Fractures now, and I've given many more as gifts, and they are amazing. And speaking of gifts, you know, it is that time of year, and Fractures make thoughtful, unique gifts that your friends are sure to love. So get on board, because Fractures are always popular this time of year, and you want to make sure that you get yours in time. Fractures are handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials, and you want to make sure you beat the holiday rush. Don't wait till December. The Fracture order queue fills up because these are handmade gifts this time of year. So if you are thinking about ordering a Fracture gift, don't wait. Order them now. And when you do, you can feel good about your order because Fracture is a green company operating a carbon neutral factory or fractory if you prefer. So go ahead and get started by visiting Fracture.me and save 15% off your first order with the exclusive code POWER15, that's all caps, P-O-W-E-R-1-5. And very important, don't forget to select Mac Power users in their one-question survey. It helps support the show and let Fracture know that you heard about them on Mac Power users. Thanks to Fracture for their kind support of Mac Power users. Let's talk about gear for a minute because, uh, you know, it's, you know, if you're going to get serious about taking pictures with your, your iPhone, um, I feel like there are probably a couple things you can buy to make it a better experience. And being the guy who's traveled literally all over the world taking pictures with his iPhone, I want to know what gear you're using these days. 
you know, I, I try not to one, one of my rules is, uh, I just, I like to keep it really simple. And, uh, like I said earlier, the iPhone is one of its greatest strengths is its simplicity, but also it's nimble, agile. And, um, I want to make sure that I'm playing to those strengths. So any gear that I get, it has to fall under kind of for, for the iPhone platform. It has to fall under those, that kind of those, those values. And, uh, but I, um, one of the greatest things about the iPhone is just being able to hop on a motorcycle at the, you know, at the drop of a hat with everything that I need and being able to follow a lead or follow the light, um, and like go capture something really unique really quickly instead of, you know, calling the driver to get the minivan to take all your Pelican cases to where you need to go. And so that's, it's, it's got a big impact on my style and my images themselves is, is that kind of nimble uh, perspective. So that's first and foremost. And then of course for the iPhone, um, you know, each year, uh, you know, what I like, uh, what's important for me and the iPhone itself is to get a black iPhone cause, uh, or the darkest one possible. And that's for reflections. And, uh, uh, there's a reason cameras are black. Um, and I like all my gear to be black. So, um, you know, this year as a demo unit, I got the silver one. So, uh, I'm going to have to pick up my, my black one here pretty quick. Uh, go, go out and buy one. But I, uh, that's important, um, uh, for me to have a black one. Cause I, every time I'm shooting through an airplane window or any sort of glass, I want the black or the darkest phone. Um, they don't call it black. I want the space gray this year. So that's the one I'll be picking up. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah, I use the UltraPod 2 tabletop tripod. Uh, which is plastic, lightweight. So because it's plastic, you know, it does really well in the rain. It doesn't scratch up other stuff in my bag. Um, it doesn't put like trigger metal detectors. And that that's the one that has the Velcro wrap on it, right? Got a Velcro wrap on it. So you can you can attach it to like a pole or anything while you're out in the field. Yeah, I mean it's or a tree. I I put it on trees, poles, like rails. I fence post. Uh, I I even strap it onto my like uh, backpack uh, strap sometimes when I'm wearing it, and uh, I kind of use it as like a body cam. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that's I have like five of those things, and so I, I carry two of them in my laptop bag at all times, all of them. And then um, I, if I'm on like a big project, I know I'm going to be shooting a bunch of time lapses stuff i'll throw a couple more in my back uh but it folds up really nicely with the glyph the studio meat glyph and um and then um so those two things and then the dji osmo mobile for extra stability i really like that as a tool i use the moment lenses those are in my opinion the hands down the best iphone lenses that you can buy and they've only gotten better um they're sharp and they're small and again like I think there's some lenses out there that outperform them a, little, a bit in terms of clarity, like the Zeiss lenses and some other stuff that's out there, but they're too big. And again, I've got to fall into my kind of principles and rules about the gear I'm going to use for my iPhone. It needs to be able to fit in my pocket. It needs to be nimble and agile. And it, <laughs> if I can't get one of those big lenses in my pocket, I feel like I'm kind of missing the point. Now, is the moment lenses, are those the ones that mount through a case or how do they mount? 
well, there's two ways you can mount them. So uh, you can actually use an adhesive strip that goes on the back of your iPhone and, and gives you a, like a bayonet system. And that's, that used to be the only way. And some people still prefer that. But I actually really like the, the case that they've come out with. Um, uh, and uh, it's a it's a nice uh, case. It's their, their first case was a couple of years ago. And it was a little bit thicker. And it had like a Bluetooth shutter button on it and stuff. But since then, they've simplified. And they have a really just nice, rugged, fairly, fairly small, thin profile, but nice nice protection uh, uh, case that has a bayonet system on it for mounting the, the lens. And so that way it's really easy to switch in and out uh, the lenses. They're perfectly aligned. And if you want it, you can take the case off and, and go caseless, uh, but you just can't mount the lens if you don't have the case on. How often do you use those lenses? I mean, as opposed to the built-in. I use the, the Superfish. They have a 170 degree lens that shows you, I mean, almost a hundred, you know, it's 170 degrees. So, um, super wide. Uh, it's a really beautiful lens. It's pretty small too. It's one of the things I like about it. Um, I keep it in the pocket of my pants, um, almost a hundred percent of the time. And anytime, if I'm in a taxi cab or if I'm in a small room or anytime I find myself in a tight environment, I'm using that to capture, uh, capture what's around me, uh, in a more broad way than, than the built in, uh, the built in <clears throat> lens. So, where the um, iPhone it shoots at a 28 millimeter, the Superfish is probably the equivalent. I don't know, actually, in terms of millimeters, but probably like 12 millimeters, 12 to 14, somewhere in that range. So significantly wider and uh, looks really good. So I love that lens. And then they're wide angle. They have an 18 millimeter lens that's um, super wide. Um, it's really, really nice. Uh, we talked about, so you've got a tripod system. Uh, with the glyph, and then you've got the um, the uh, the ultrapod that you like for that. What about lighting? Like I, you know, the iPhone's great, but sometimes you want like a side source lighting, but you want to be mobile too. Do you use any sort of third party like lighting sources? I keep uh, one of my like previous year's iPhone in my bag, and I, um, at the very least, and I uh, will use the flashlight on that or the screen on that or. I'll use my iPad um, and turn it to white. And that's a nice, that's a surprisingly soft, really nice portrait light is a 10.5 inch iPad. Um, and the closer it is to the subject, the brighter it'll be and also the softer it'll be. And so if you're trying to shoot a portrait or something, the, the iPad can be a really great compliment. A couple of years ago, I backed this Loom Cube, L-U-M-E Cube. It's just a little tiny light that, I mean, for me, because I've got into this thing of being the iPhone, I try to only buy things that will fit my jeans pockets. You know, I don't want to get a bunch of stuff. But the Loom Cube absolutely fits in your jeans pockets. And sometimes if you're taking a night shot and you just turn it on and put it to the side of your subject or even behind them, sometimes it gets a nice effect. And it's waterproof. That's a kind of a nice little thing I carry around with me once in a while. Yeah, that's a cool tool. It's, you know... I'm always looking for ways to double up on functions and stuff I already have. And so I love to use like an iPad or something, but the loom cube is a, a tremendous tool. It's uh, I've seen guys attach them to their drones and fly drones around to light things. And um, it's waterproof. You can throw it, you can, you know, adhesive mount it to a surfboard like you would a GoPro and get cool light that way. And, or you can just handhold it and it's way brighter. 
and it's got kind of a flash mode that you can use, um, as well. So it's, it's a really nice tool. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> they've done really well. And I think they're coming out with some interesting products. Um, I also find it important to have a good backup battery. Um, I use, a uh, 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 solar powered, uh, backup battery from easy ACC. I don't know how they pronounce that, but it's on Amazon. I can send you the link for it, but, um, it's just, it's got good, it's, it's rugged. It's got a carabiner on it. You can throw it on the outside of your bag, it's got a ton of charges in it. And, um, that's, uh, uh, and it, and like, if you're shooting a time lapse, it's awesome because you just strap it to your tripod or whatever, and it's just going to charge the phone all day long is pretty nice. Um, and then, you know, whenever I, if I'm shooting a, like a production type job or really any of us, we have so many USB devices these days. I think it's, if you're going back to your hotel room, it's, uh, you know, you only have so many outlets and just wanting to streamline, you don't want all these different adapters and all this. So I, I use, um, a USB charging hub made by anchor. It's a five port USB charging hub. And I travel, I actually have several of those and I'll connect, <clears throat> I'll, I'll connect all my devices to those. And actually one of my favorite little hacks is, um, I hate, I'm super minimal and I just, I'm always trying to cut the, cut any of the fat and all these devices, they come with, you know, cables that are at least a foot, if not three feet long, sometimes longer. And I'm like, I don't need that. So I always, uh, I get on Amazon and I buy, I used to custom order these from a tiny little shop called USB Firewire out of Wichita, Kansas. But now I can get them on Amazon. I get a six inch lightning cable and I get six inch micro USB cables and I just plug all those into my five port anchor, um, uh, USB ports. And then, so I've got all of my cables, you know, cause if I've got three or four, uh, the cameras that I'm working with that are charged on, uh, with lightning and then I've got a backup battery and then I've got, you know, two or three other USB things, a loom cube, um, so all these other things you might use, um, all those cables turns into a whole bird's nest really quickly. But if you have these little six inch, uh, cables, that's, uh, far better. So that's, I, I love, um, I, it always just like kind of a nice breath of fresh air whenever I open up my power bag and I just have a bunch of short little cables. Well, I'll tell you that the problem with that anchor uh, multi-charger you're talking about, we'll put it in the show notes, is you will you, you will you will not only buy one <laughs> because I bought one and now I have three. I've got one like Velcroed under my desk. I got one by the bed. I keep one in my travel bag now just so I've always got it. It's they're so useful once you start using those things. It's super nice. Austin, well, thank you so much for, for, for giving us this brain dump of, of all the things you do with the iPhone. And, and if you're listening and you want to get better at taking pictures with your iPhone, um, Austin actually has, I believe it's kind of a course you have coming out shortly that's going to give everybody lessons on how to take better pictures. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've been working on some training content for quite some time. I've been doing these iPhone reviews for six years and... Um, I've always been looking for the right conduit to teach, uh, photography just in general. Uh, you know, I've been like as, as a travel photographer and just, uh, I get it, I get it. I get a lot of questions about how to create, uh, great images and how to travel and how to shoot and how to shoot great portraits and all these other things. And I've been able to teach workshops in different parts of the, the world and have, you know, taught at the Apple store in London and various other places. And, 
at the times that I have been able to share with others, I've been able to see really great transformation and uh, see a lot of potential unlocked in people because especially with the iPhone, it's, it's such a powerful device. And with just a few tips and a, a little bit of insight, I've seen people create some really amazing things. So one of the downsides is not everyone you know, can make it out to the Apple store in London or the other places where I've taught face to face. So I started working on some training content, uh, video and written resources that I'll be uh, releasing on shot on iPhone.com uh, here uh, very soon. In fact, when we were in Guatemala, we shot uh, several, quite a few hours of behind the scenes content. Um, I had uh, my friend Jordan with me, uh, who's a filmmaker and director that was capturing it all. And as I was out on the street doing my tests, I was also um, kind of uh, bringing uh, you along, the, the, whoever it is that is going to watch the video and just kind of being just a complete open book of kind of what's in my head. How am I seeing light? How, you know, why am I where I am and how did I prepare for this? And why am I, you know, what time of day it is? And, and also kind of what are the, what are the things that I'm following uh, that I see and kind of the street urban photography. And I also have a session on portraits and, and you get to see, um, you know, kind of how I interact with, uh, uh, a guy there that I, I meet and, you know, it starts with getting his name and just understanding who he is and making sure he's cool with the portrait and kind of how do you kind of work um, uh, a great image out of that scene. And it really starts with, you know, building a relationship with this person is, you know, a, 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 instead of just, uh, and really that relationship, you know, is just really introducing yourself, making sure it's okay and just kind of interacting with them a little bit. Sometimes in travel environments, you might not be able to speak the same language, but finding a way to, to connect with them. So anyway, I talk you through that and how do we get a great portrait of a person and by making a, a friend first. And uh, there's all kinds of content in there. I think there's some really valuable stuff and I've been looking for the right way to, to share and um, help others to unlock the potential of the iPhone for a long time. And this is finally it. So um, we're working on that and we're planning on getting it out here in the next couple of weeks and really excited about it. Um, and uh, we'll, David, I'll keep you in the loop about it. And, uh, in the meantime, you can go to shotoniphone.com to sign up for uh, notifications um, for when I'll be releasing uh, the first round of all those videos. Yeah, and so that'll be after the show releases, but not long after. So if you're interested in this, and I, I love the fact that you're taking iPhone photography seriously. It's like this isn't telling people how to shoot with their Nikon. This is telling people, no, you got an iPhone. This is how you take a great portrait. And I, I can't wait to see this content when it comes out. So, so everybody go over there. It's, it's just shot on iPhone.com. The other place I would recommend you go to is austinman.com with two ends and they, you know, just some great stuff there. We're going to have show notes with a lot of the software and the, the different hardware we talked about today. Uh, where else can people find you, Austin? But yeah, well, a quick note on uh, the iPhone photography, you know, I think in my mind, um, the best there, there's two parts of, that we need to learn about photography. There's parts, of photography that are completely unrelated to equipment. And then there's parts of photography that are all about equipment. But I think that the iPhone serves as the best tool to teach about the part, uh, really about both parts, but the, the non-technical side, the side that's not about gear, it's the iPhone is a great platform to learn about um, the importance of, of light and composition and everything else, because it's such a, it allows you to focus on those things instead of thinking like, all right, where's the wheel that I have to move to, to adjust how the light is and everything else. 
And so I see the, the iPhone as the best way that I can teach photography in general. And, and, uh, you know, as a professional shooting with DSLR, medium format, everything else, um, if I, you know, as I look at just what's the best way I can, uh, you know, share the knowledge and the things I've learned along the way with others as just in general about photography, I see the iPhone as a really great tool for that. So that's why I'm excited, really excited about it. And then there's also, you know, technical stuff specifically about the iPhone. And so, yeah, I hope you get a lot out of it. And then, yeah, uh, from there, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram, uh, which is just my name, Austin Mance. And, um, you can, you'll be able to see some images on there and, uh, um, yeah, awesomeman.com. And, uh, that's, that's about it. Well, thank you so much, Austin. I, I can't wait to see the, the new stuff. And honestly, I can't wait to see whatever it is, the next big trip you take. Where, where, what's the next big destination for you? Well, I am, uh, I'm getting married in 11 days and, <laughs> okay. uh, and so that's coming in pretty soon. And then, I'll be, we'll be leaving, uh, for our honeymoon, uh, four days later to Antarctica. So, um, that's a lifelong, uh, dream for both of us and it worked out really well. And so, uh, we'll be, uh, timing wise. And, and so we'll be heading down there and I'll be shooting a bunch of medium format stuff, uh, with half the lab. And, uh, then I'll be coming back and editing all the images on the iMac pro um, and putting that whole digital workflow to the test as well. So I'm excited about, excited about that. And then, uh, that's really, you know, not, not really, uh, thinking about a lot other than, uh, uh that right now. And then we'll, we'll see what next year holds. Uh, Austin, man, honeymoons in Antarctica. I think anything, if you had said Hawaii, I would have been disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I was expecting maybe the moon. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Oh, Hey, if we could, we would, but, uh, my fiance is a, an amazing photographer and, uh, travels quite a bit as well. So it's, it's, kind of it's up both of our alleys and uh yeah we're really excited about it all right so everybody go to austin's instagram feed check out austinman.com check out a uh, shot on iphone and um and thanks again so much uh, we are the mac power users katie couldn't make the a, a big part of this show today because the skype gods were not friendly to her but um you can find us uh on twitter we are at mac power users katie's at katie floyd i'm at max Sparky. And we are on Relay.fm slash MPU for Mac Power users. And we will see you all next week.